This is Acrobatic sending a special salute to my man, Sterling Golden. Golden Age of Radio is a special presentation of Boston Free Radio and 320 Entertainment. Peace. Tonight, broadcasting across the beautiful universe, we honor our golden boy. Ladies, come fabulous. Gentlemen, look sharp. For tonight, we are embarking on an indefinable journey. This is the golden age of radio. What's going on? It is your girl racing in the city. I am here with this special presentation of Boston Free Radio and 320 Entertainment. We welcome the golden age of radio, a sterling anthology. And I am so lucky to get the chance to sit side by side and chop it up with Sterling Golden. So by the time you people hear this, it's the weekend of Sterling's birthday, December 17th. We are going to hopefully be popping a lot of bubbly. Um, Looking back on Sterling's work through the years of radio is what we are going to be talking about today. And I'm so excited because there's just, there's a lot of layers and it's fun and it's memorable and fuck it. It's iconic. Iconic may be the word racing. And by the way, yes, I am here. I am part of this thing. I mean, how can we not be doing this? I mean, how do you not? You know, I mean, you got to have your man Sterling Golden in the building. Yes. With Racine in the city. And by the way, we appreciate you being the host. Ah, I appreciate you having me. Like, legit gratitude. So, and you're sitting here with me in my favorite print. Man, I got to just tell you, the style game, you're there too. You literally combine fashion, music, entertainment, and you're giving Boston what they need. I don't know about what they need, but definitely what they want, I hope. Ooh. You know, I mean, because I'll tell you this. Mm-hmm. The thing is, it's what I've been doing now for close to 15 years. You know, yep. it has been a very fortunate situation, one that I'm very grateful to have, mm-hmm. which is an opportunity to live the life that I've always imagined for myself. And with this presentation here that Boston Free Radio has put upon us with 320 Entertainment, I'm truly honored that you know Boston Free Radio wants to look back on my work mm-hmm. on the radio through the years, especially on my birthday weekend. Yes. And it's fabulous to have Racine in the city <laughs> holding it down for these next few hours. Mm-hmm. And y'all, what can I say? You know, I'm a grateful man. I thank y'all for you know running with me all these years, close to 15 now. And yes, live that, it up. Keep that lituation alive. Okay. So pause. Lituation. I swear that is a part of my vocabulary because of you. That word, the term, the phrase, it's everything. And it's become a notable quote. Did you create the word or are we just taking this word through, you know, the test of time here? I might have. I feel like you might have too. I might have. (laughs) 
I'm not saying I did. Yeah. I will not say that I did because if there is somebody out there that coined lituation ahead of me, I don't want to step on his or her toes, you know, right, unless right. they're into that. But I will say, as far as I am aware of, I may have been the first, mm-hmm. you know, because all I know is one day I decided when I was at another studio that it sounds cool to take the word lit and situation back when the word lit was exactly being abused all the time. Lit, it's lit, it's litty. We're like, it was just only that. It was being abused. Yeah. And I decided, you know something? Lituation sounds kind of dope. It okay? does. I took lit and situation and may have been the one to coin that. Yeah. Don't know if I was. <laughs> Maybe I should trademark that. I feel like that might need to be looked into because when I think of lituation, I think of Sterling. And anything that you do as far as your DJing life, career, uh, emceeing, anything, it's going to be a lituation. I think so far the life that I've had out here as part of our great industry has been kind of a lituation, and we'll be talking about a lot of that. Yes. I know you have questions. and Sure do. I've got answers. You know? <laughs> and that's why we're here today, not only to listen back to whatever clips of Boston Free Radio have dusted off yep. from over the years. And I have a list here of what has been selected. Mm-hmm. But I will say, and by the way, I did personally approve <laughs> that. I'm not going to front and act like I didn't. <laughs> I absolutely did approve the list. As you should. But I will say that uh, we're here to do more than just listen to old clips. We're also here to discuss you know, who I am, what yep. I've done, and I'm so grateful that Racine in the city is here to be the one asking the questions. Yes, and I love it. I mean, look at this title, A Sterling Anthology. Like, you legit have been in this industry for so long. It's damn near legendary. That's why I say iconic. Ladies, I can still go. (laughs) Okay, I'm not ready to retire just yet. Nope. I can still go. Okay. Don't let Racine fool you with that. (laughs) He's not done. And that is definitely on my list of questions here. You know, we've got to know, you know, the past, the present, the future. And we want to know, ultimately, where is this golden age of radio going? The golden age of radio, you know, I think it's a cool title, Mm -hmm. you know, for this presentation. Yep. I know that it's a borrowed phrase because it actually is a phrase derived from the era of the 50s, the 60s, mm. things like that. That is considered the golden age of radio. Yeah. But because of my name, we get it. Ha ha. You know, golden age of radio. <laughs> That's cute, you know. Yeah. But I will say that as far as my personal golden age of radio goes, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know – when this career started, that I would end up doing radio. I do know this much. Mm-hmm. I needed a stage. You needed a stage, a platform. I needed something. Didn't know what it was. I was working retail jobs. Yeah. I was working security overnight. Mm-hmm. I was doing, let's see, concierge for a major credit card company. Yeah. If somebody called wanting something crazy like a horse and carriage <laughs> with whatever – I was the guy that had to go find it for that credit holder. Okay. You know, things like that. I did that for 15 years and just kept, 
either quitting jobs or getting fired because I was never happy racing. Yeah. So I think I went through about 45 different jobs over 15 years. Oh, my goodness. Because I could never keep one because I either got unhappy and quit or I was not a guy who took orders well and got fired. Those puzzle pieces just weren't, they weren't fitting for you. No, they weren't. No. But along the way, the whole time, Mm -hmm. I knew I just wanted to do something involving, We know know music was one of your loves. We we also know, um, reading about you and interviews in the past, huge Kiss fan, correct? (laughs) You know, I got to say, they're definitely the band that made me love music. Yep as a 10-year-old boy, and everything about KISS embodies all things larger than life, about entertainment, about (laughs) pop culture, about music. They are the band that wrote the blueprint for branding Mm -hmm. in the music industry. When you see Beats by Dre today, when you see Nicki Minaj selling perfume, Rihanna selling branded clothing, KISS, in a lot of ways, reinvented that whole blueprint because... From the 70s to today, there have been thousands upon thousands of licensed, successful KISS products. Mm-hmm. They're so successful at branding that you know comedians sometimes say, you know, it seems like KISS makes everything but music. <laughs> you know? Yes. Because for a band that has sold over 100 million albums worldwide and are the top earning, you know, gold record award winners in the U.S. Yes. of all time, they also have more than their share of accolades and branding. Absolutely, and they have so much merchandise. They are, they're just constantly evolving, they're constantly selling, their their brand is always making money. Pinball machines, dolls, the first ever approved picture condom. Mm. You know? Yeah, y'all, you could, you know, (laughs) make shit happen with your girl with a condom with Gene Simmons' photo right on the condom. That happened. <laughs> that shit actually happened. But anyway, creative. The cool thing was mm-hmm. my first time, or my first true meaningful appearance ever on the radio airwaves. Because, like other kids of the early '90s, I would make requests of songs and would get on the air. Oh yeah, you couldn't wait to call into the radio, right? Yeah, you know, that was how it was. But in 1996, mm-hmm. at age 19, yes, the original four members of Kiss they had just reunited. I'm talking about Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley welcoming back Peter Chris and Ace Fraley into the band and reapplying their makeup again for this huge Alive Worldwide tour. Did you see when Tupac brought them out at the Grammy Awards that year? No, I don't recall that one. It's iconic. I do love Tupac. It's iconic. Tupac said, let's shock the people. He brought out the original Kiss wow. in their full makeup and stage outfits with the platforms and everything. And you had Kiss and Tupac presenting an award together. And it made for this iconic photo opportunity. I'm going to say the word iconic a lot. Yes. And may say you know a lot like I do on the Chop Session. Mm-hmm. Take a drink whenever I say iconic or you know. I'm starting now. Okay. There you go. We have bubbly here, y'all. Anyway... <laughs> That year, 1996, the original four KISS members appeared on a show called Rockline. And it was, I think, by far the most successful and highly rated episode of Rockline ever. If y'all kids don't know what that is, it was a weekly show that had, you know, rock-based artists and bands late night taking phone calls and doing interviews. Oh, so cool. Well, the original KISS appeared one week, and 
It was like the jaws of life to get through the phone lines that night. <laughs> but 19-year-old Sterling was determined to get through. Mm-hmm. And y'all, I after like, <laughs> what, 90 minutes of waiting? Oh, my. A guy gets through. I'm so excited. I start spitting my details out. Hello, Rockline. My name is so-and-so. I'm from so Yeah. And he goes, dude, slow down. What's your question for Kiss? <laughs> and I told him my question. I had to wait on the line for another 20 minutes. And y'all, I got through, you know. That's among incredible. The millions of callers they must have had that night because the original lineup of Kiss had not been together for 17 years. Mm-hmm. We had Kiss out there, but with different members with Gene and Paul. Yes. But that night... Your man Sterling got through on the line and got to talk to Kiss. Mm. Hey guys, how you doing? Good man. Great. Great, right great. On. First of all, been a Kiss fan since eighty seven, saw you guys twice, never with makeup. I wanna say this is a dream come true for me. I'm glad you guys are doing this. It's wonderful. Here's my question. You guys have had ten years of eras of costumes to choose from. I wanna ask you, how did you go about and why did you go about choosing the Love Gun era of costumes? I think probably because when we looked at all the outfits that we had we kind of figured that that was really the pinnacle in terms of staying staying true to the original, you know, vibe of the band. We felt that Dynasty went a little over the top and almost became like Disney-looking, you know, outfits. And, you know, uh, the costumes that we had during the Alive 2 tour were very, very cool. The stage show was very cool. And we just felt that that kind of, like, epitomized, you know, the, the Kiss tradition and the Kiss look. So um, those are the, the outfits that we chose. That's just... It's it's like it, I'm in awe because that's as close as you're going to get right now, right? Like you're on the phone lines, kisses through the other line. That's that's who you look up to. And the cool them. thing about that clip you just heard was they used my answer for that question on this internationally aired TV special later that year. Oh wow. And of all the questions from that night's show, mm-hmm. Mine was the one they mined an answer from and used on that special to promote the international dates of the Alive Worldwide Tour, which was one of the biggest tours KISS ever did. Mm-hmm. And in 2023 coming up, yep. I do believe it will be their final year, 100 more dates on the End of the Road Tour. And Racine, not going to lie, not going to front, I'm still not ready for a world without KISS. Talking about just this this sterling golden life and where you've come from and like just over the years, your nightlife has literally propelled you to be in different clubs, different settings. Like you have achieved this tour of Boston and then some you you've, you've left here, haven't you? I mean, this has been my life now, you know, the nightlife thing was literally me looking for an outlet, you know? And I knew that DJing was something that I wanted to do for several years after meeting a fabulous lady named DJ Lady Bathory way Mm. back, Mm -hmm. late 90s, from the old Man Rain nightclub. Okay. She was somebody who had a great influence upon me back then, but I never seriously considered it as a career until I met Anderson Marr. Yeah. The promoter that broke me into this business. Okay. Anderson Marr, for those who don't know in today's class, 
you know, was influential in the alternative music scene mm-hmm. of the 90s, 2000s, early 2010s. Okay. She had her own company, Dark Sky Productions, and she was the one who wanted to take a chance on this crazy idea I had for a nightlife event in which we promoted and embraced yeah. genre equality. Okay. Where we combined different styles of music into the evening, different cultures into the evening, call the party line legacy and make it a monthly. I love and that. Though. I, so so it didn't just have to be a night of one style. That was the situation. That okay. was the vibe. Yeah. Anderson liked the idea, took a chance, and that thing went on for a few years. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this, yeah. you know, as much fun as I had as a DJ in the clubs, it was falling into radio that set me where I am now. Sterling hosted and produced his first series, Legacy Radio, in 2010, alongside co-host Kalani Sky and later Gail Storm. But it wasn't until 2013 when Sterling started to gain notice in New England's independent radio community with a series titled Sterlingtology Radio. Sterling, with co-host Mistress Jada Sin, presented a provocative new listening experience that not only saw Sterling's take on the latest in music, but also saw the mistress probe the darker side of the show's guests. So in order for me to discuss Sterlingology Radio, I first have to show love to its predecessor, a show called Legacy Radio, which I had hosted and curated back in 2010 on the old unregularradio.com frequency. I had been a guest on one of their shows earlier that year to promote my party series at the time called Legacy. And ultimately, John Loftus, the guy who owned Unregular Radio, liked what he heard and decided that I should host and curate my own show. And really, radio was a longtime fantasy of mine, a dream of mine going back to high school. I wanted to intern at our top hip-hop station in Boston at that point, which was Jammin' 94.5. I was told the wrong advice at that time, which was radio is not real work. Go get a real job, you know? And for 15 years, I just bounced from odd job to odd job. I was never happy, didn't work well with others. By 2007, I was so down on myself that I let myself continue on in this mentally abusive relationship I was in. I was depression eating, aggression eating to the point where I was 320 pounds. And, you know, I knew two things at that point. I'm depressed and one day I won't be. Eventually, I found the courage to walk away from that and pursue my calling, which was nightlife, which was radio, all these things. I began DJing in 2009 Less than a year later, I get this offer with Unregular Radio, and I begin Legacy Radio, which was more or less a two-hour infomercial for the Legacy Parties. But we found my first co-host through that show, at the time Boston's R&B sensation, Miss Kalani Sky, who really was amazing and still is amazing. She was my first guest, in fact, on Legacy Radio. By that summer... You know, Sterling and Kalani had worked months as co-hosts, and ultimately Kalani had to leave the show to focus on being a mom and focus on education, very important things, you know. Gail Storm stepped in as my co-host for a short minute, and then by August 2010, I was off on regular radio. Sterling and Unregular had a bad falling out at that time. 
I was believing my own bullshit, had a bad ego issue, and it was not going to work out. I kept DJing for a couple of years, getting better and better gigs. And then finally, in early 2013, a man named Dave Crespo comes to me and offers me the chance to come back to Unregular Radio to start a new show, Sterlingtology Radio, similar to Legacy Radio, which was the best in modern music and throwbacks and interviews with Boston area guests, you know? So by that February, I was doing shows, get this, out of Dave Crespo's kitchen. I shit you not, that's how it started, you know? And one of those early guests was the late, great Dave Cash, who we knew best as DJ On and On. At the time, DJ On and On was co-hosting Hip Hop Trivia, a night that was held at a venue in Boston called Good Life, which for many years was my top shelf pick for Boston's best nightlife venue. Well, at the time of this interview, DJ On and On was pulling up to promote Hip Hop Trivia, but after a couple of segments... He got tired of the format and decided it was a cool idea to flip the script on your man Sterling. And for whatever reason, he decided to ask me questions about my personal life. And somehow he had this idea that I lived an alternative lifestyle. And you'll hear that in this interview. I don't know how to this day he came to that conclusion because one thing your man Sterling has never been is a swinger or anything like that. But yeah, he had the idea that I was. And He had the whole place breaking up in the background, as you'll hear. He got my person at the time, Mistress Jada Sin, in on the conversation. And you'll hear a couple of minutes of that here on Golden Age of Radio. And thank you again, by the way, Boston Free Radio, for curating this. But anyway, one thing you'll notice about this clip is I had a very different persona on the air back then. I don't do radio like this anymore, and to this day, I scratch my head wondering why I felt the need to do it this way, but you'll hear a bit of this, and you'll be left wondering what Sterling was thinking, what DJ On and On was thinking, but hey, 2013 was wild, and I loved that time of my life, you know, and wouldn't trade it in for anything, even though this one got a bit weird. We're here back on Sterlingology Radio, DJ On and On. You know what? I, I just want to divert from what we're talking about. And God bless you for, for, for having me here to plug Hip Hop Trivia Night. Word. I do my research before I'm going to go on a show. And, and, and I checked you out and I checked out your past episodes. Absolutely brilliant. Love the show. And I see, I try to get into the mind. What is this man going to ask me? What, where is he coming from? What's his past? And, I, and all I have is the pictures to go by. So I'm going to tell you something, go for it, Sterling. Man. I believe... That you are, yes or no, Are you? were you a part of, or not, the swinger lifestyle? <laughs> now, swinger I lifestyle. ask this because I am a former member of the swinger lifestyle. You understand me? I got that Years man. ago, I used to go to parties, and, and, and if you go to newenglandcouples.com, by the way, you can, yep. you can uh, get enrolled. But I, ironically enough, Belong to a club, a swingers club, gotcha. called Sterling Swingers. Now I put two and two together. Not only do I see the, you know, the the these these photos of you with the sunglasses and this and that and the third. I swear to God, I've met five guys like you with the swingers things years ago. But then you have your your, your the wifey Jada Sin. 
Mistress huh? Jada Sin, man. Now, now, you know, since then, I've, I've sort of stepped step back from the waist. But I totally understand it. I get it. And I smell that on you, Sterling Golden. Man, that's powerful, man. Go that's ahead. strong. Go ahead. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. Number one, do you or do you not belong to the swinger lifestyle? Uh, we all be a little crazy in this town, man. Jada, can we get you on the air, please? Jada, say, say what's up. J- Go ahead. Compared to me, he is so vanilla. I detect a little SM. Yes, I'm a pro dominatrix. Word. Thank you. Word. Thank Indeed, you. my friends. And that was a little bit of that inside info. I love it. Brought to you by DJ On and On. I love it. So after a couple of months, Sterling Tology Radio is evolving and Unregular Radio is moving to new studios located where Dig Boston magazine was being produced at that time, which was cool, you know, Unregular and Dig Boston sharing real estate. Anyway, y'all, this meant Sterling Golden would be invading Dig Boston offices on Sunday nights now to do Sterling Tology Radio. But at that time... Much like when Unregular Radio felt Kalani Sky and I had good chemistry to be co-hosts for Legacy Radio years before, now they feel Mistress Jada Sin and I have good on-air chemistry because Jada had been appearing on the show a couple of times. She was becoming a regular on Sterlingtology Radio. Anyway, I agreed and began encouraging Jada to become my co-host. And she did, y'all. You know, she agreed to do it. And so now we're reformatting Sterlingtology Radio to be a two-hour show for Unregular. And really, it became kind of a tale of two different shows because you had Sterling pushing the music aspect of things while Mistress Jada Sin would probe the psyche and the dark side of our guests. In general, she would do this by asking one question in particular each and every week of our guests, which was... What's your fetish? Man, we'd get all sorts of answers to this question. Many of them would buy into the sexual aspect she was looking for, but others gave kind of PG answers like runner's high or cooking or reading or things like that. Anyway, y'all, as I said earlier on, 2013 was a wild time. And Sterling Golden and his person, Mistress Jada Sin, were having a blast doing Sterlingtology Radio. And we were having a blast out in the clubs, you know? We were having a blast in the after-hour scene. It was a good time, y'all. It was a wild time, and I wouldn't trade it in for anything. A lot of fabulous memories. I met a lot of intriguing people from that time. And in the center of it all was this show called Sterlingtology Radio, and it became a popular show during that time. People were clamoring to be on the show and were curious about this new vehicle because it was so different from everything else on independent radio in New England. And one of those guests was one of my favorites in high school in the hip-hop scene of New England, Ed O.G., a Boston hip-hop pioneer. Man, Ed O.G. and the Bulldogs were... One of my favorites during high school, I had tapes of theirs and everything, so it was really dope to have Ed OG pull up in August of 2013 to plug his Back to Cool event being held at Bartlett Yard. And here's a bit of a uh, sidebar right here. I got to design the flyer for Back to Cool. Thank you, Ed OG. You are about to participate in a great adventure. Lock in for Boston's number one music radio experience. 
This is Sterling Tology Radio on UnregularRadio.com. It is our honor to welcome the big homie, Ed O.G., ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you, thank What's you. What's good, much. man? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what up, man? What's good, Ed O.G.? I'm here, man, I'm here uh, talking about what we're doing on the 24th, man. We're trying to bring uh, the community together through fashion. Yes. We know we have a lot of talented local designers here, and a lot of times they're not able to showcase their work right. to the public. So this is a free event. It's from 11 in the morning to 5 in the afternoon. Um, we have a ton of local designers. We actually have Goodwill there. Right. So you'll be able to bring your uh, old clothes, drop them off, bring donate stuff. You know, if you don't need it anymore, man, get rid of all of that winter stuff that you're not going to wear. I feel give, that. Yeah. Give it to somebody who, who can use it, man. Um, so we're doing that. Uh, That's we, excellent. We got performers. Uh, we're doing a clothing exchange, which cool. is, I don't know if, if a lot of people are familiar with a clothing exchange, but what it is is you get old clothes that you don't have a desire to wear anymore, but they're still usable. And right. instead of uh, throwing them away or donating them to Goodwill, dry clean them, bring them down, and people will be able to exchange clothes with you. That's very cool. That's a very cool. We always concept. call it a clothes swap. Yeah, same thing. Same so thing. it's uh, it always goes really, really well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I think a lot of people will be into that. I think you, I know I got a ton of stuff that I need to give away and uh, exchange myself, man. So that's very cool, man. And I understand also that in addition to clothing exchange and fashion on display from Boston area designers. There's levels to this shit. We have music. Yep. We have performances. Do tell, man. Yeah. We got performances, man. We got a, a bunch of special surprises. Um, we got some... My, my, I wish my partner, Lena Delgado, was here, man. Shout out to the Floor Lords. Um, yes, Floor Lords was good. Who will be spinning uh, that day. So we got special performers, man, uh, rocking out. That day, man, we're going to be doing a backpack uh, giveaway to kids who need it. Uh, title of it, Back to Cool. You know what I mean? So Epic. we'll have some some uh, backpacks to give away. So come down. If, if, if your kid is in need of a new backpack, please come down and get one. Yes. Totally do that. You know, this is going to be the Back to Cool Fashion Festival. And it's going down the 24th. And it's going to be quite... An epic event for the city of Boston, for the yes. community, bringing kids together, families together, yes. and people who love music, the arts, and fashion, and culture. This is what it's all yeah, about. Yeah, culture. Culture. Raising the culture. Yeah. You know, bringing it full circle, back to the kids. Well, supporting your community in general. Exactly. Yeah, but it's we we do that all the time, and you know, we need to, to have uh, spaces like Bartlett Yard where we can do these kind of things, especially in the summer. When, you know, violence and a whole bunch of craziness is always going on. Oh, temperature goes up, crime goes up. People are hot. You already know. You already know. We're talking also, of course, regarding the fact that we have a man here who has a four-decade career in hip-hop, not only in Boston, but worldwide. I, myself, was just telling Ed OG off the air, actually, that I was one of them kids who, in junior high school, had Ed OG and the Bulldogs on cassette tape. You know, and I'm the proud owner of a Boston Doze, of a Boston Doze, Boston Goes Deaf. Cover number two. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. We're rolling tonight. Yes, a Boston Goes Deaf vinyl in my possession, and which is actually quite the rare vinyl to attain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Today. Now, your beginnings in hip-hop, 
yeah. in the nineteen eighties. How did you get into this thing at fifteen years old? Oh, well, I used to be a b boy. Started off uh, break dancing, battling against the floor lords, always losing. Uh, <laughs> and 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 you know when b boying kind of started. Uh, Dying, rapping started getting a little more popular. Uh, jumped into that arena, started beatboxing and uh, rapping. In about at about 1985, man, and then you know, really the rest is definitely history. I mean, from from Indeed. there. I mean, it's been an epic career, you know. Then of course we move on to Edelgene Gene the Bulldogs too. Yeah, 191 first uh, came out. Uh, I gotta have it. Um, Boston Anthem. Uh, yes. One of the only number one records out of Boston to uh, go number one on the billboard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it put us on the map, man. And, and that's what really launched the uh, whole Edo G era. Yes. The Edo G era, which continues on. Continues on, man. It doesn't stop. I mean, for real, man. You know, and that's what I'm saying. When you say you've been outworking. The competition for the last four decades, and you've been rewriting this thing over and over, and just making this thing raising the bar. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, know, I, I think at, at the point we're at in hip hop, um, you know, we're, we're treading new grounds, um, being elder statesmen in in hip hop, and still doing it at a high level. Um, so I think we're just treading new grounds, and you know, for younger cats who are. Uh, teenagers they'll still be able to do it into their 40s and 50s and hopefully 60s and you know it, it'll continue one thing about sterlingtology radio was we had a great opportunity to interview many cool guests including the band that my late promoter anderson marr fronted named sans nomenclator mm-hmm. and they were considered to be kind of a horror punk <laughs> group with a message you know yeah a social message. Yeah. And Anderson Marr was passionate as fuck about this group. So naturally, when Anderson Marr wants to do something, I want to make sure that I'm pulling up to promote it. So the fall of 2013, September 22nd of that year, in fact, Sazno Clator came to our studios to discuss upcoming shows, new singles they were doing. And the funny thing about that night racing mm-hmm was we had kittens in the studio that night. <laughs> Mistress Jada Sin had a couple of kittens that she had adopted at the time, and she brought them to the studio that evening. And I would say one of their names was Bat Cat. The other, I will not say on the air. I can't. <laughs> because I don't consider it to be politically appropriate. Oh, okay. You know, but... If you were listening back then, you knew what that cat's name was. But at the time, Stanislaw Claytor pulled up, full band, Anderson Marr, fabulous human. I miss mm-hmm. her to this day. Love her. R.I.P. And we had a blast when Stanislaw Claytor that evening. Good times. Tonight's guests have been running wild since exploding onto the Boston music scene as a group in 2009. Described as the Misfits mated with the Dresden Dolls and fronted by none other than famed Boston rock promoter Anderson Marr, this group offers a skull-melting sound that hammers social issues and unapologetically defies the modern music and culture landscape. Tonight, we welcome them right here at Dig Boston Headquarters on Sterlingtology Radio. Introduce yourselves, my friends. 
We are Sans Nomenclature from Boston, Mass. I'm Anderson, uh, lead screamer. Yes. Renee, drummer and occasional bassist. Mel, bassist. Jay Skull's guitar. Word. Sans Nomenclature, everybody. Welcome. No inflatable lambs this time? No, like, uh, pinatas full of explosives tonight? Nothing like that? No, we didn't buy anything inflatable this time. Uh, but we came into the studio and we were so psyched because you must have known we were on our way since our debut album was entitled Tea and Kittens. You got us kittens. But fortunately, no long island iced teas because we need to keep skulls sober. That's a challenge. Yeah, it is. That's a challenge. Coffee. You know? Coffee, Good coffee though. Uh-huh. You know? Now, i got to actually outline first and foremost here that uh, I've had, you know, a career length kind of kind of like indebted sort of attitude toward Anderson right here, because for those of y'all who don't know this, Anderson Mars, actually she who was the bad influence who broke Sterling Gold and entered this business. And he's probably regretted it every, ever since, not. I am. <laughs> every damn day I wake up. <laughs> oh my god she's, like, she's become a cut up as of late You know And uh, yes I'm rolling with the punches You know Yes Now tell us Tell us how this started You know Because I know you as a promoter First and foremost And then Sans Nomenclator Came into being Shortly after my career started In this business 2009 Yeah um, I've been in the industry Since 93 In various uh, different markets As a producer and promoter I've been in several bands Um this particular band uh, started uh, back in 09. Um, Leon Rich was our original guitarist, and he, and he had um, you know, a couple projects going. And then he said, oh, you want, I want to get together another band. Do you want to sing for us? And then we got Mel, and we got Renee um, you know, doing the rhythm section. And then we started uh, playing a couple gigs, made our debut in Salem, opening for the Liz Borden Band in August there. of... Uh, yeah, August 21st, uh, 2009. Mr. Golden was there. Yes, I was. Uh, jumped on stage with us and sang Rockin' in the Free World. is fantastic. Uh, and then we had a couple... <laughs> we had a lineup changes. We had more turnovers in the bakery. And then uh, Skull ended up becoming our permanent guitarist. Um, you know, and uh, co-band drunk with myself. And uh, <laughs> we've been playing out ever since. Uh, we've opened for a couple national headliners. We've gotten banned from a couple of venues uh, due to the stage props. And uh, it just... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. What do you mean? I want stories. I want the details. Here we go. Well, there was this wonderful sports bar down near the Fleet Center or uh, TD Bank North Garden or sold to the highest bidder garden. We're whatever talking about you, McGann's. Yeah. Band from McGann's. So we came oh. in there one night and we were playing this Shut like up. anniversary show for one of our, um, our friends' uh, parties or whatever. So we got this inflatable pig, right? You know, everybody loves that as an anniversary gift and it was anatomically correct. Now, what the fans did with this pig at the show after it got passed around the audience... Not our problem, and we're not responsible, but it ended up wearing a thong with a dollar bill uh, inside the thong, and uh, certain... That's a problem? Certain I haven't heard anything yet that's bad. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> it was anatomically correct, as I mentioned before, and certain orifices on the pig were... Uh-huh. Uh, Put to use uh, and something regarding beer bottles and something regarding the owner not being very amused. So we are kicked out. I think out it of might have club. been the microphone in the one of the orifices that particularly irritated. Oh. <laughs> they hate when that happens. And then wow. yeah, I still haven't heard anything that sounds very bad. Oh, <laughs> of course. Boston's a, yeah, Boston's a Puritan town. Everything yeah. is bad. I, yeah, I know. Mm. Fucking California liberals. Damn so it. The next year at our next anniversary gig with. Uh, you got a lamb with Tara White. No, we. Wrote you should just go for the octopus. Just get an octopus, and, and you'll really cause some head rolls. Well, we wrote them a song <laughs> called "Band from McGann's," 
Oh, oh, I get it. See, that was a really poignant question because now we got the dirt on your name. Ah, I love it. And I didn't even know. Yes. Yeah, that's not even a question. Blow up doll on one of the shows too. We bring up blow up dolls all the time to the pool parties at Fetish Factory and stuff oh, like yeah. that. So all the time. I have so like many Dommy pictures with wearing latex and everything, holding like stuffed animals around their waist, and Damn. you know, little. There's this uh, part of the uh, New York tribe has a seal that he dresses in leather and bondage and stuff like that, and everyone takes pictures with this stuffed animal seal. It goes everywhere. I want stuffed animals here. Yeah, I mean, it's just, people you do all this stuff all the time, so that's why I'm like, I don't hear anything the, bad. The, the octopus idea is good. Uh, horror punk hentai, do you think that would sell? <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then on Sterlingtology Radio, you also had Kalani Sky. Was that more of a, a reunion, an interview, or you guys did a couple shows together? I would definitely call this a reunion race scene. It was a vibe having Kalani come on back and catch up with me on Sterlingtology Radio. We hadn't seen each other in a few years. As I mentioned earlier, we were co-hosts of Legacy Radio. And let me tell you, Racine, I felt Kalani Sky carried that show because I was still very new to things and making mistakes. And she was there to help pick me up, you know. And we got good enough as a unit where we got to host Legacy Radio Live as a one-night thing at the old Enormous Room. I remember Enormous Room. I partied there many times. Same here. Central Square. Yeah, one thing about the Enormous Room, y'all, is if I had a night out planned with a young lady, I knew in order to make a good impression, I had to bring her to the Enormous Room. It was definitely a place I considered clutch, not only for professional reasons, but personal ones as well. But this is about professional shit. So let's keep it there. All right. Anyway, eventually in 2013, I learned Kalani Sky was about to attempt a comeback to her R&B career. So I wanted to show some love and reunite with her on the air. So in October of 2013, Kalani Sky pulled up to Sterlingtology Radio. Very cool. She's a dope girl. You know Kalani? I do. Nice. Yep, through the scene. Yep. And what's your interaction with Kalani from through the years, if I may ask? Nothing recent, but when I did meet her, I just thought she was like such a cool, stylish girl, like super just like beyond her years. Like, I don't know. Old soul, diva, just... That's definitely Kalani. She style. embodied just so much. That is definitely Kalani. I have nothing but love for Kalani Sky. Mm-hmm. I last saw Kalani about three years ago when we ended the morning show, which we'll get to later. Absolutely. But yeah, Kalani, still active in our community, Mm -hmm. active in the school system. Yeah. You know, just a star of a human being. Nothing but love for Miss Kalani Sky, Boston's R&B sensation now and fucking always yell. (laughs) Now and forever. You already know. Super dope. What is good, Kalani Sky? What is good up in this studio, honey? Thank you for having me, first of all. <laughs> My God. Um, I just have to correct you, though. I didn't disappear. Not entirely. Yeah, I didn't disappear. Didn't now. Vanish. I was doing some. I was doing a little acting. I was doing yes. a little performing, a little hosting. Um, but yeah, I did. I did step back off the scene to um, attain my master's degree, uh, start yes. me a family. So I got a little baby girl now. She's eight months. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a fiance now. So I'm taking fellas. 
I'm taken. You Sorry. are back. Don't cry. <laughs> 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 no, but I am. I'm back. I'm, you know, it, and, you know, hey, it is what it is, right? So, my friends, <laughs> Kalani Sky. Now, this is an interesting bit for me, actually. The law of attraction kind of kicked into this one. Would you think about, you bring about kind of thing, you know? A little over a month ago here on the show, just for the hell of it, I actually dropped a Kalani Sky jam here on the program. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, body banger. Hey, hey, hey. Yes. <laughs> body banger was played on the show. I did it for the hell of it, you know, because I hadn't you know, seen Kalani in years, and I wanted to play a song and kind of say, hey, we're thinking of you here. You know, it's been a while. A short time later, all of a sudden, Kalani Sky's Facebook reopens. It reappears. Ta-da! Kalani Sky reappears oh, to the forefront. And she publicly announces her comeback. That's right. Nice. So I'd like to believe in my own kind of uh, self-important mind here that myself and Jada kind of had a small hand in kind of... That's all right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You it's know? nothing but the aura. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. speaking things into existence. And you did that. So In a way, yes. Now, give us a little bit of, uh, in a nutshell quickly, yeah. uh, some backstory mm-hmm. on Kalani Sky. Bring us up to speed on... Who is Kalani Sky for the Stoingtology Radio audience? Kalani Sky is a God-fearing, crazy black woman that loves music. <laughs> Grew up in a household that, you know, her mother said, you better sing or else you're going to get a whooping. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I'm crazy. I love life. I love to laugh. I laugh at every damn thing. So, I mean, <laughs> honestly, um, music is my life. I sing things all the time around the house. Clean up the house. House, please you know so you know i sing in church um you know i, I like i said i'm god fearing so i never deviate from yeah. you know giving him the glory yeah so you know it's true. I, I, I you know i'm just thankful i'm thankful i'm here i'm here my god i may be ugly but i'm here that's oh what i'm my saying god. <laughs> hardly hey that's my color purple moment right there <laughs> <laughs> nice wow Wow, you know. Now, Kalani and I have a shared history going back to actually the end of 2009 and uh, a little bit of uh, background on that. Now, when I was just getting into the business and I was just starting to kind of really come into my own and I had just found my first uh, kind of, uh, you know, residency as a DJ at the Model Cafe out in Alston. And around that time, Kalani had posted on Facebook and said, I'm looking for somebody to hear my music a miracle i'm looking you know there we go that's right social Open media up. moment peace time, peace yeah. time. <laughs> i'm looking for somebody to just give me a chance yes so i facebooked kalani right that day and we had a meeting that week and we decided we're both upstarts in the business let's kind of help each other out a little bit right you know right so i took her to uh the uh, Rock and Roll Social at the Model Cafe in Alston. And uh, I got to speak on this totally. I'm not going to name who this was because I don't want to have my brains beat out by friends in the rock community, but a prominent local DJ in the community took a look at Kalani's CD, Controversy, 
Oh, God, don't tell Totally me. racially profiled Kalani and said... <laughs> well, I ended up meeting him again, and he said there were swears. He couldn't play the songs because there were swears. There's not one swear on that no. album. Well, this is a different person that said it. It wasn't him that said it. Oh, okay. I know, I know, right, not right, the he. Right. I, I know you're referring to. Right, right. Not right. he, but she. Yeah. Okay. Said that, and then we both kind of looked at her like, What? Right. You know, and, and I never looked at her the same way again, this person. It's but, all uh, good. You know what? I mean, hey, yeah, that's, that's the experiences right that yeah. she's dealt with. And mm-hmm. I, and that's unfortunate because, yeah. you know, but I didn't hold it against her. No, I, I no you her, can't. You know, right. yeah. I, and everybody always thought I did rap. And I, 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 I did. I started out rapping, you know. But, not like you can't. You right, can. exactly. Yeah. I can do it. But I just think that I look much more divalistic exactly. singing. <laughs> yes. This is truth. I'm bugging. Don't this play is truth me. to the power. No, listen, no, I'm no, not no. stuck on myself at all. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I no. I want you to think that. I, no, no, God. No. I, I, I like that. I, it's yeah, fun. You, yeah, you're sure yourself. You yeah, know what you want. You, you get know, it. You know, it's cuter when a woman is singing rather than trying to be hardcore and saying, mm, I'm this and I'm No, that's yeah. not me. After the unregular radio station signed off for the last time in December 2013, Sterling and Jada would make a quick stop by the short-lived Dig radio station before settling within another new independent radio outlet, WEMF Radio. On this station, Sterling and Jada would continue on with another new show, Sterling Sin Radio, similar in format to its predecessor with the added attraction of weekly live music performances. S squared, Sterling Sin Radio. Alright, so this requires a bit of explanation. By the end of 2013, Unregular Radio was off the airwaves. In fact, the very last show to air was Sterlingtology Radio. And then comes 2014. By that time, one of my dearest confidants in the music scene, William Desmond, a.k.a. Brother Des, had long been building up his own internet radio station. He called it WEMF Radio, which was an offshoot of his Sound Museum rehearsal complex. Play as loud as you want, you know, 24 hours a day. I still remember those commercials. So the first hires for WEMF were Sterling Golden and Mistress Jada Sin. There's one problem. By January of 2014, we were no longer seeing each other. We had broken up. Problem was, Des wanted both of us for this new show. And he wanted to call it Sterling Sin Radio, because people in the scene were calling us Sterling Sin, haha, like Benefer, you know. So he wanted to call it Sterling Sin Radio and play off of that, and we liked the idea of continuing a radio show thing, even though it was getting weird between us. And we gave it a shot. So April 2014 comes, WEMF signs on. Sadly, the first week it comes on the air, that was the week my promoter, Anderson Marr, had passed away. You know, so it was a difficult time that first week, but we had to keep our game face on because both Jada and myself loved Anderson, and we were both greatly affected. The whole community was greatly affected by that loss. Anderson Marr was so important to the Boston music community. Well, we moved forward April 4th, 2014, a Friday night. Sterling Sin Radio begins, and we positioned it that way to become kind of like the kickoff to your weekend, the kickoff to your night out. You start off by pre-gaming with Sterling Sin Radio. That was the idea. Our first guest one of the greats of New England hip-hop. I love this man. His name is Mo Pope. 
Today, he is known as a member of Steel Gold, one of the great hip-hop outfits in New England, you know. If you don't know Steel Gold, well, hey, he didn't want you to know. No, that's not true. We want you to know Steel Gold and their new album, Rock Boyega. Go run that up now on your favorite DSP. Well, in 2014, Mo Pope was our first guest on Sterling Sin Radio. He performed for us that night, gave us a dope interview, and it was kind of crazy that night in the studio also. We had Goddess Lilith Astaroth pull up, and we had the infamous Kitar Bear doing live music beds for us in full costume. You had to be there, y'all. I'm having the best time. I'm feeling the music. Music. Nightlife. Culture. Boston, it's time to own the night with Sterling Sin Radio. What's up, guys? We're here. We're here. <laughs> We're doing this. We're doing this. Now, Mo Pope, a few questions for you regarding uh, your background. Now, of course, you've had a pretty storied you know, background coming into the business and uh, growing up with a musically diverse family as well. Yeah. Some, you know, tastes yeah. all across the map. Tell us about your background and getting into the business and the family situation. Uh, my background, I grew up in um, Roxbury Academy Homes Projects and uh, pretty much like... I'm just a lucky dude, you know. I had a, a good family who uh, liked rock and roll and <laughs> liked nice. soul and liked jazz and played a lot of that as I grew up, you know. So, and that yeah. brought you to where you're at now. Yeah, that brought me totally where I am now. I think the first group I ever, or the first singer I ever knew, was Adam Ant. Very cool. Oh, I love Adam so, Ant. Yeah. I have such. The high school crush on him. Yeah. The beginning of the professional journey of Mo Pope and Rain. Now, uh, your life experiences through the art form of music are expressed in your lyrics. You know, mm-hmm. tell us about the thought process behind some of the lyrics you have in your uh, music in your catalog. I mean, personally, as a, I, I mean, I think that people, I think that people take rapping a little bit too serious. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we're just poets telling our story and like at the end of the day um you're either gonna gravitate to what the person's saying or you're not like right. you know and uh and you know that's pretty much it like i don't really have much to it like i just tell my story like it, and that's it like you know and sometimes it's you know it's braggadocio stuff and sometimes yeah. it's like just very colorful words and wordplay yeah i like his wordplay he makes up words too you know yeah and i like his word sometimes makeup you gotta do that and so and and sometimes it's 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 true stories you know like things that happened in my lifetime so yeah that's pretty much it love it and you know my myself a fan 
of the work of Mo Pope, the work of Rain. Thank you. You guys are breaking ground here in Boston. So I'm proud of what you guys are doing. You know, I knew that for our first broadcast, it was a must to have you guys represent our scene. Yes, so thank you for the schedule changes and making it happen for us. We we appreciate being on. Exactly. Now, San Francisco 2001, the debut. As a member of the collective now known as Crown City Rockers at the time, Mission. Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, Mission was like, we started here. We started uh, most of the band members, um, Catawano, uh, Ethan, Hednotic, Parsonage, uh, Definite, Rashawn Ahmad. Uh, we all started here, pretty much. Um, and they went to Berkeley College of Music. Mm-hmm. And pretty much... It was just that feeling of having your homies be in the crowd, and yes, you know, you're not knowing how good you really are because your homies are gonna always, you know, throw their hands up and scream for you, you know. So, <laughs> you know, we wanted to go someplace where nobody knew who we were to see how good we really were, and we chose the Bay Area. And, Excellent. Uh, and yeah, that that turned into mission and. Mission turned into Crown City Rockers without me. I had to come back home because I had a child here. Yeah. You know, so. Now, from there, you made your way back home to Boston a decade ago. Yeah. You know, dropped the album, Life's a Struggle. Yeah. And over the last decade, you built a solid reputation. The releases like 2008's Megaphones, collaboration record. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, you finally make your way to your tandem with Rain. Yes. On Life After God. Yes. The Game Changer. Earning numerous awards, accolades, now, Rain, you come into the story at this point. Yes. Tell us about your earliest impressions of working with Mo Pope. Oh, man, it was honestly like first impression. It was it. Was it. Yeah, I had heard Mo the first time on a, a mixtape of all things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I knew the dude that put it out. And I was like, give me this guy's number. And immediately, I was like, I wanted to work with him. So, Mo doesn't really you know he's not really the type of person that picks up a random number so it kind of happened like out of fate i would say mm-hmm. so we met we we hit it off immediately and it was it worked out pretty well because i had a number of beats life after god was basically like the precursor to 300 he had 300 300 beats. to go <laughs> 300 so it was this is sparta yeah so it was yes. like the precursor to what is happening now we had to find our sound but it ended up being a classic record, mm-hmm. so to speak. Excellent. And Let the Right Ones In was is, is what we sound like. Tell us about what you all got for your first track tonight. Uh, Flatline? Flatline. Flatline, yeah. This is Flatline. like actually the first song that we recorded on, uh, on Let the Right Ones In, and we decided to not use... We recorded this song, and it was sampled, and we decided to actually... Uh, scrap it. Scrap it. But then we came back to it, which ended up being the... the I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't call it a bonus cut because it's on the record. But mm-hmm. it is essentially a bonus cut. So this Sometimes is actually- that's the thing that works always the best as an artist. You know, yeah. you, you work so hard and you realize, um, oh, I start over. And then you get something more brilliant. Yeah. Yes. But we came back to it, though. which is it, And it's one of the best songs on the album. So Very cool. Ladies and gentlemen, with Flatline, the first of two live performances here tonight... On Sterling Sin Radio, we give you Mo Pope and Rain. Check, check. Yeah, 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 yeah.
So I'ma say my goodbyes Press pause till next time my light shine like bright stars Tell my mama I love this, sorry for the wars You raised me well, I was proud to be your For my wife and kid, I'll be there for you Let them see gone Been a long road to the end Made a few friends in the process The quills, the growth in the sunshine I found time to find hope The progress, no regrets I put a five lives on deck And I ain't got no more left But I walk around the block like the world my set The cigarette hangs to my lip like Suicide kids filling onto a cliff Inhaling the death with a force Would be easier to step inside a Porsche After guzzling the film Pulling with the boys With my pops The love's here Even though her brother wasn't there Even though we bought a trick of beer And though I wish you had a pair Dude, I'm happy that you didn't I ain't never shed a tear I'm happy for the every next step The next For my breath The light, 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 the gleam, light, the sunshine, the bright sun, the winter gleam. Was put the freaking fire in the fiend. Was begging in his heart for someone to intervene. If there's life after God, here it go then. Good night, my heart pop, blood stop flowing. Flowing, flowing, let the earth run slow. Hell on earth, I'm ready to go, 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 go. I think I'm ready to go, go, go. I think I'm ready to go, go, go. Sterlingston Radio, so many dope memories come to mind because it was short-lived, but we had many great guests and performances because mm-hmm. one of the things we did on Sterlingston Radio was host a live performance every week. Every studio, week. W-E-M-F. One of them came from one of the most fabulous ladies I ever met out here, someone who not was even of this universe, actually. She was from the planet Neptune, as she said. <laughs> May O'Hara. May O'Hara. What's her name, okay? I fucking loved May O'Hara, Racine. What was her music like? May O'Hara was one of the most creative and original performers we ever had in New England music. Okay. She combined electronic beats with violin, and her violin was named Vindice. Mm. And May O'Hara was colorful. Yeah. May O'Hara was fabulous. May O'Hara was just an amazing Neptunian being. And I miss her to this day. I'm a fan of the violin, so I already know I would totally dig her music. I have not come across her, her sound, but I will look into her. I'll say this, you know, even though May O'Hara has since moved on to more earthbound ventures. Mm. You know, I will say that the May O'Hara that I know best, and I say that with respect to who she is today because I still love May to this day. <laughs> the May O'Hara I know best was the multicolored haired, 
you know, creative from Neptune with her violin in hand, ready to drop some dope new sounds on us, you know, whatever she could. Yeah. She had one album out here called Inverse Energy and then an EP called Cold Blue Sphere. And she came to our studios for the second time on Sterlingson Radio, actually, mm-hmm. in 2014 to perform for us and talk to us on the air. And unlike today when Racine and I have champagne out, <laughs> that day we had tequila. You love tequila, though. I do. And Meohara, you know, partook in some earthbound tequila with us <laughs> and performed her song called Seducing Your Fire. This is Seducing I Your Fire. I would love to hear I mean, I would love to hear this. And Vizichi with like hip hop and yeah, like, Mayo Howard and, and Chris would be dope. That would be, that would be pretty cool. Sick. Ahead, right here, you heard it first yes. on Sterlingson Radio. We, we and want it. Here we go. Check, check. Seducing your fire 
In 2015, while Sterling worked as a featured star of Dirty Water Media's online and television shows, he was lured back to WEMF to start discussions of creating his own morning show platform. To get Sterling ready for his new solo series, he was on Monday nights for a short-run radio series titled Monday Night Gold. Alright, so by late 2014, WEMF and Mistress Jada Sin had a parting of the ways, and Sterling Sin Radio left the airwaves subsequently, and I also left the radio airwaves for a short minute because I moved on to doing television and writing for Dirty Water Media, which was a fun time. You know, I got a little too friendly with the weekly buffet and the open bar, and it showed in photos, and I can't believe nobody told me back then. Shows you what kind of friends you have, but no, I'm playing. I had a great time with Dirty Water Media. They were the best, and it was a blast each and every week. Shout out to everybody who I met from the Dirty Water days. I have some great confidants from that time, like Diamond Liz and Miss Tiara Life, Lisa Batista, you know, so many great people I met. Dr. Sabra Russo. List goes on and on, y'all. Well, eventually, the calling came again for Sterling to get back on the radio. Only this time, WEMF wanted to talk about having a solo vehicle for me, a morning show. And I had long wanted to do morning radio. Always wanted to do it. But in order to get me prepared for it, they wanted to give me a short-lived test vehicle called Monday Night Gold, which would be a weekly one-hour Monday night show where I would do my thing, dropping modern music, talking to local guests. You'll see a pattern here, y'all. A lot of my early shows had the same format. Well, it worked for me, you know, just the same show, different titles, and some were solo, some weren't. Well, Monday Night Gold was not meant to be a long-lasting show. It was basically a vehicle to get me back on my feet with radio, get me warmed up for my morning show gig, which was in the works all that year in 2015. So we kicked it off by taping a pilot, which we used to shop around to get sponsors for Monday Night Gold. And subsequently, we would sell them on the morning show afterward. Acrobatic, one of my longtime friends in the community, one of the most respected names in New England hip-hop. A man is a bona fide legend out here. You say acrobatic, you hear respect back, you know? Well, Acrobatic was kind enough to pull up in the spring of 2015 to tape that pilot with us and be my interview guest. And we aired it once on Boston Free Radio years later as a special. But other than that one time, we actually never aired this. We taped it as a pilot, you know, to shop around. But nonetheless, we have a clip for you here. And I'm going to play that for you now in which Acrobatic discusses the struggles he had physically at one point and how it nearly cost him his life and really big ups to acrobatic for getting through this and staying alive and continuing to create and perform worldwide i got nothing but respect and love for my man jared bridgeman aka acrobatic and here he is on the pilot of monday night gold i also want to point out that ahead of that album came a single called alive yeah. You know, that kind of uh, set the tone. Yep. Now, Alive is one that we're actually not playing on the show, but I do want to get a little bit of background on that track because that kind of set the pace for what happened with the Able to Last record that followed. Yeah. Well, well you know, and also Alive ended up being on the album because um, I had to have that be part of the story just in case, you know, people didn't necessarily 
get to hear the single when it first dropped. But, um, you know, I, I feel like Alive is just a, that's the song I needed to make. You know, it's the most important song I ever made in my career. Um, and it's it was an opportunity for me to say exactly what happened because, you know, you got, you know, the internet, the story goes around and it can get simplified or, or mutate in different ways. So it was simplified to, oh, Ak had a heart attack, you know, and that's not really what happened. You know, my aorta ruptured, you know, all that really matters is that there was an emergency. It got fixed and I'm healed and I'm better than before. So, you know, that's that. And then also I got to give people a kind of a, 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 a first person account of, exactly what I was going through, what the pain was like, what the different aspects, you know, the surgery, like just waking up on the surgery table and like right. seeing all your family and friends standing over you crying like they're saying goodbye to you. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. a real thing. Like you're lying there not knowing what's going to happen. And then you're seeing like, you know, my mom lives in Virginia and, you know, I wake up and that's the first person I see. I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, like. Crazy. And I couldn't talk because I had a ventilator in my throat. So it's like I couldn't even ask any questions, you know. And that's why I made the song Where Am I, which is also on the album. It comes right after Alive because Alive gives you that whole, like, this is what happened. This is what I went through. This is how much I appreciate you guys for holding me down. And then Where Am I, though, I needed to make that song because that's the creative side of me. That's like, you know, my imagination. That's the the Vicodin you know, giving me nightmares and all the different ways that I'm processing what's happening to me. At what point during this whole situation did you finally come to the realization that, uh, you know, even though I'm down for the count at this moment, mm -hmm. I know I'm getting back up. Yeah. And I know that uh, acrobatic will live on stronger than ever from this day forward. When did that, that point come to you? It was, hmm. It was really early on in the whole process. Like, when I was in ICU, when I first kind of had consciousness, like that first full day of me being conscious, mm -hmm. you know, I'm still all jacked up. I'm still like strapped to the table. I can't really move. You know, my chest is in two pieces. I'm really jacked up. I'm cathetered. I barely know where I am. Right. But one of the nurses was just kind of talking to me to just kind of help me along, like becoming conscious again, you know? Right. And we're yeah. talking and he's like, you know, so, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I make music and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I love doing that. I travel a lot. And I, and I was like, you know, I play flag football and I was like, well, I used to play flag football. Right. And he was like, nah, you'll be out there again next summer. Mm -hmm. Soon as he said that, that's when I was like, if he thinks that about me, then he has no idea how good I'm going to be. No idea how strong I'm going to be. If he's guaranteeing me that I'm going to be out there next summer in the condition that I'm in right now, then he has no idea what I'm going to do. You know That's what I mean? Right. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do another 20,000 shows if I can. You know what I mean? I'm going to go to 20 more countries. I'm going to drop 15 more albums. Like, you're, you're telling me that I'm going to be able to go out and play linebacker for my flag football team. So that, that makes me feel good about myself right there. It That's is never too late. It is never too late to become the person you are capable of being. Ruby Rose Fox. What an amazing talent. What an amazing human. You know her best today for being the founder of the Muscle Music app. 
Well, in 2015, she was the toast of the New England music community. Everybody was a Ruby Rose Fox stand out here. Award-winning artist, a credit to our community. Everybody was feeling her vibe. You know, she had an album coming out not long after. She appeared on Monday Night Gold, September 21st, 2015. And y'all, if you were around back then, you know what a huge honor it was for me to host Ruby Rose Fox. I respected her so much out here, and I loved her music, and she even performed for our show, a song called Ronald Reagan Killed the Radio, which you're about to hear. But I was super stoked to have Ruby Rose Fox pull up. You know, At the time, I didn't know, though, that Ruby Rose Fox had a rehearsal space downstairs from our studio at WEMF, and At the time, I'm thinking in my naive mind that she must be such a hard get for a show. Y'all, all I had to do was walk downstairs and knock on the door if I wanted to, but I just felt that was poor protocol. I didn't want to do that. So I had my guy, Mike Nash, who today is a member of Bird Language. He was the guy who uh, put it together and he brought Ruby Rose Fox to Monday Night Gold to do this interview with me. And what a great guest, what a great interview, and one of my favorite highlights of the Monday Night Gold series was this appearance from Ruby Rose Fox, September 21st, 2015. Yeah, what can I say? I've said enough. Now, please listen. Big respect to Ruby Rose Fox. Here tonight on 320 Entertainment's Monday Night Gold, we give you the phenom, Ruby Rose Fox. One week, three days, five seconds since I broke the system The committees are losing their minds And I'll be fine But now there's one thing I know you don't know Oh 
kittens I broke the system The committees are losing their minds And I'll be fine Now there's three things I know you don't know From those almanacs as Thursday night, Ron on D. Ron on D. Talk about this. Sound of Our Town 2. Yeah, so this was put together by uh, Mike Morata through Vanya Land. Shout and out, Mike. Yep. Woo, woo. And um, <laughs> the Boston Music Awards, mm-hmm. uh, which have a new format this year. And it's going to be such a cool show. Yeah. Um, Will Daly's playing. Mikey Holland's playing. I think he wrote me into doing a... Uh, um, a special song with him. Oh, very cool. That should be fun. So it's going to be a really, really, um, I think, dynamic and exciting concert. I've never played there before, so mm. it's out on a big, it is like a huge lawn, and it's it's really fun, and I'm excited. Hope they have insurance in that place, because it's going to be on fire when Ruger Rose Fox <laughs> performs. Yes. <laughs> My God, it's a beautiful outdoor venue i love the the swings of course i was yeah. a little boy saying that and the performances are top notch i've seen louis bello there among others and it's always a great time there oh good i'm excited definitely ruby it's gonna be an exciting night this thursday night for sound of our town too now in the beginning you began with the dread in uh 2012 tell us about the background behind the dread okay. want to know more about this so i had been teaching a um or help teaching a summer program with this actual company I actually just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And there's a kids game called Little Sally Walker. Okay. Um, where you like go in a circle and the girls dance. Um, and so I kind of took that song and I also basically added um, this other narrative of my friend who was internet dating. Mm-hmm. And he, every time he would go out on a date, he said he had the dread. And I was like, what's the dread? And he said, oh, I don't know. I just go out with them. And then I just feel this terrible feeling like three days later. And then I just never called them back. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So it reminded that, I don't know. I think like that song and then my friend's story. And then I kind of added Mac the Knife, which is like an old jazz oh, yeah. standard. I love Louis Armstrong's version, personally. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, that song is kind of a combination of all those things together. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Love the dread, by the way, too. Good, Great thanks. Track. Now, from here to now, where do you see yourself today compared to the very beginning? Are you happy with the progress you've made and where you're at right now? Yeah, I am happy where I am right now. I think, <clears throat> I mean... I when I was first playing, I was not that good. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a voice and had been singing since I was a kid, but I didn't know how to play guitar. I didn't really know how to write songs. I didn't know much about anything. I just knew that when I sang, other people said sing again. Right. And I also knew that it gave me pleasure and that it was a way for me to intellectually and emotionally grow so i was like okay this is a path 
but I wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of demos Curious now. <laughs> that I listen. I know I should send you some of my old demos. Some of them are just horrifically, horrifically bad. Um, so I am happy because I feel like I really have grown over the last four or five years. Like I really do feel awesome. like I'm a different performer and a different band leader and a different songwriter, and that's encouraging. It was on the morning of April 4th, 2016, when Sterling would kick off a 650-episode run on the Morning Drive airwaves with his new WEMF series, Sterlingtology Live. Originally co-hosted by Sterling and Diamond Liz, before transitioning into the solo platform it was first intended to be, Sterlingtology Live would prove to be a popular morning series featuring the hottest music of the day, discussions on the hottest entertainment gossip, and interviews with top independent names of the moment. In 2017, Sterling and his series would transition to Boston Free Radio, where Sterlingtology Live remained for the rest of the series. So we had spent much of 2015 getting ready for the new morning show. Uh, WEMF and I worked together preparing for it using Monday Night Gold as a way to get me prepped for it, you know, as a solo host. But then along the way, that changed, you know, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I knew taking on a daily morning show would be a whole new grind. So I took a hiatus briefly from the industry, did a little bit of traveling. I came back early 2016 to get ready to do Sterlingtology Live. And that was going to be WEMF's entry into the morning radio drive race, you know, featuring your man Sterling Golden, you know, and his new co-host, Diamond Liz. Yes, after all that work, getting me ready for a solo show, I took on a new co-host. I decided we needed someone for Sterling to play off of every morning and have fun with, have a chemistry with. And Diamond Liz and I always have and still have great chemistry. So I approached Liz, asked her, are you up for coming down to WEMF every morning to do a morning show. And to my surprise, she was up for it, you know? So we pulled up every weekday morning to do Sterlingtology Live. And we decided rather than do just another mainstream pop morning show, we wanted to take that culture and mix it in with WEMF's flair for independent radio. So it became literally a show where we had the best in mainstream pop hits at that time and the best in independent music. So it was totally different from anything else in the morning radio drive race, you know? And Sterling and Liz were your hosts. We talked about the latest gossip and entertainment locally, nationally. We talked about it. We had great local guests, national guests as well. And really, y'all, I had so much fun kicking off Sterlingtology Live with Diamond Liz. Liz wasn't on the show that long. She was gone by the end of the summer to do her own thing. But, y'all, it was fun, you know. And here's a clip of Sterling and Liz attempting the morning radio thing. We tried to do the morning gossip thing, you know. So, at that time, the big talk was Becky with the good hair. The whole Beyonce lemonade deal, you know. And... I believe Diamond Liz still is a big member of the Beehive, but in 2016, y'all, she was the Beehive. So here it is. Here is Sterling Golden and Diamond Liz, April 26th of 2016 on Sterlingology Live. 
Disgusting Becky with the good hair. WEMF Radio. You are locked in with Sterling College Live. We are Boston. We are global. We are WEMF Radio. Becky with the good hair. Yeah, Rachel Roy, um, I mean, she posted that Instagram picture. So it's like, even if it's not her, I think she deserves the heat that she's getting. And it's pouring out, but the beehive is still coming for you. The beehive <laughs> is running wild right now. Whoever said bees don't fly in the rain, we're wrong. Seriously, you know? So the other one that's been speculated in the last few hours... Yeah, is Rita Ora. Yeah. They were saying that from how Beyonce said the line that it was a white woman. And Rita Ora has also been rumored to have been Jay-Z's mistress. Unbelievable. You know, I will say if, in fact, Jay-Z did cheat on Beyonce with Rita Ora or Rachel Roy or Kermit the Frog or whoever the hell, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I, will, say, the Frog. I will say that uh, oh my gosh. he did have 99 problems and now Bay may be one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And yeah. 40 past the hour, in about 10 minutes, we have Bob Maloney of Worshipper talking to us. Interviewing Bruce Kulick on Sterlingtology Live. That was a vibe. And one of the biggest thrills of my radio career at that point, because I had never interviewed any past or present member of KISS. What happened was, at that time, I was commissioned by the Eric Carr family estate to host and produce a radio special for the Sterlingtology Live series, honoring the 25th anniversary of Eric Carr's passing. For those who may not know, Eric Carr was the drummer of KISS from 1980 till 1991. Sadly, he passed away from cancer-related complications. Well, as part of that special, I got to interview Bruce Kulick about his memories of working with Eric Carr. Bruce came into the band in 1984. He was the lead guitarist of KISS until 1996. And so we had a really dynamite lineup of Simmons, Stanley, Kulik, and Carr from 84 until 91. And that lineup, y'all, they had some hit singles out there across the world. They had some sold-out shows and tours, you know, platinum albums. Let me tell you, you know, big respect to that lineup of Kiss. And Bruce Kulik was a big part of that lineup and even the lineup to follow, which had Eric Singer take over on the drums. And by the way, Eric Singer is still kicking ass as the drummer of Kiss. Anyway, y'all, I got to tell you, I was thrilled to have that opportunity. I had a great time talking to Bruce on Sterlingtology Live. It was definitely... You know, an achievement unlocked for me to have any member of KISS past or present on my airwaves. And uh, how about it, Racine? We're going to drop that one right now on our audience. We have on the line right now legendary guitarist of KISS from 1984 to 1996, the great Bruce Kulick on the line. Bruce, good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, my friend. Not a problem. This is a very special occasion for us here, and thanks again for being a part of this show for us. So our first question for you, Bruce, is, uh, as you know, you joined the ranks of KISS as lead guitarist at the end of 1984, over four years into Eric's run with the band. I want to know, uh, what was your first impression of Eric upon meeting and working with him, and have you ever encountered Eric on the scene prior to KISS? Well, the first time I really met him, I happened to stop by uh, one of the studios in Manhattan. I think it might have been Right Track, 
where they were working on Creatures of the Night, I believe. And yeah, I remember they were mixing, I think, Love It Loud and Gene was fooling around with the fade out and stuff like that. I don't remember how I wound up there. You know, my, my, my brother Bob knew those guys, so that might have been why. And that was the first time I met Eric. He was relaxing on the couch in the lounge attached to the studio. And we didn't really get a chance to, um, you know, chat much or anything. I was just, you know, kind of excited to be there. And um, so I can't really count that as much of a, you know, get to know Eric at all from that from that one time at the studio. Right. But uh, I was very impressed with what I was hearing because the creatures in the night, the drums were huge on that album. You Definitely. know, and Eric's such a he's such a tremendous drummer. But obviously, when I was asked to, um, you know, temporarily, of course, of you know, initially right. join the band because their guitarist that they got in uh, in '84, Mark St. John, was having a, an arthritic, you know, arthritic like disease problem where his hand right. got blown up. Right. So right. you know, I'm going on the European leg of the tour, and then that would be it. And as you as you're aware, it turned into 12 years. But right. that's where I really got to know Eric because I was busy, you know, touring with him, and and rehearsals were kind of short. You know, they weren't a very long drawn out period. So. Um, and Eric being the other new guy, I'm, I was just thinking to myself as a, a very quick temporary guy. Obviously, I gravitated to him and Gene and Paul being, you know, the creators of the band, you know, so I got to know Eric pretty well. Very cool. Now, the general public, all y'all out there, you've heard the hits over and over again over the years. Now, let's talk the deep cuts. Okay. Now, if you were to recommend a hidden gem or two from your time with Kiss during the Eric Carr era, what would they be? Well, you know, for me, um, first of all, everything I did with the band, I'm proud of, but I, I, I find more Asylum and Crazy Nights albums than maybe even Revenge, even though Revenge is supposed to be, you know, one of the best without makeup. And of course, Eric Carr is a part of the Revenge album, but, but not, not the same as those other records right. I just mentioned. So um, I have to say that even though the asylum artwork was was a little controversial, you know, it just looked a little odd. Uh, but then again, you know, music and fashion were going through changes as as life does. Um, Eric's drumming is very very important. You know, things like Tears Are Falling, um, you, you know, and uh, King of the Mountain and stuff like that. And then by the time we got to Crazy Nights, we had um, you know a very famous producer of that time, this Ron Nevison, and. Uh, he was uh, very, very, you know, important in shaping the sound too. But Definitely. you know, everything. There's nothing that I'm not proud of. That even to the last full record, kind of that Eric was involved with, which is Hot in the Shade. That there's nothing that makes me go like, why would he play that, or what would, what happened there? You know what I mean? Right. I was I was proud of everything, and you know, Eric gave much more than uh, a thousand percent. You know what I mean to anything he was involved in. Definitely. I mean, it's evident when you hear those albums that Eric Carr was such a driving force behind Kiss during the 1980s. It's very evident on those records. Now, what do you feel is Eric Carr's legacy today in the world of music? I love the fact that the fans um, still have a special place in their heart for him. Some of them are like, you know, ex extremely passionate about his contribution to Kiss and him as a person, you know. He was the most um, willing to be accessible to fans, you know. 
when I joined the band, it was kind of new to me because even though I, I toured and I played with some famous people before that, you know, I wasn't getting fan mail when I was, you know, the guitarist of Meatloaf. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think he had a complex with more drums would make him even better. And fortunately, he was able to handle all that. So even though he was the shortest guy in the band, he buried himself in a the biggest kit possible, you know. But he looked at drums because he was a full-on musician. I mean, the guy... The guy um, played many instruments, um, and he sang very well, and he could write songs. You know, so the guy had a lot, really, uh, you know, to contribute. And obviously, when you're a part of Kiss, you, you know, just like uh, you know, with a George Harrison and the Beatles, you know, that that John and Paul are always going to eclipse George's, you know, thing. And as time went on, you recognize how much. George could have maybe even done more, you know, in the Beatles, but what he contributed was great. Eric's, for whatever he was given the opportunity to contribute, were were really special stuff. And I was aware from working with him as well, uh, outside of Kiss, with his uh, rockology and, uh, you know, meaning uh, rockheads, rather, yes. and, and some of the original stuff that didn't get uh, actually released by Kiss, how talented he really was. So... There was no one kinder to the fans, and uh, on a talent level, Eric uh, was extremely um, gifted, you know, between his voice and his his um, drumming skills, and, and the fact that he could play some bass and guitar really well and a little bit of keyboard, so he, he was a real asset to KISS. There's no doubt that um, I, I get why some fans, you know, have such a special place in their heart for him. Absolutely. In addition to being a great creative force and a drummer, he also gave back to the fans on a regular basis and made yes. them feel a part of the experience, which is why he's such an inspiration to so many. And our final question for you, Bruce, we're about to hear a tribute uh, track you did for Eric Carr in 2000 with the band Union called Dear Friend, which is just a great, great homage to Eric's memory. Tell us a little bit about Dear Friend. Well, you know, and I, you know, timeline-wise, I don't remember if if I felt like writing it because I was so involved with some of his, you know, legacy and archiving things. And I remember Eric's family was was thrilled, of course, that I was willing to do that, and I was motivated to do that. And of course, there was a person that was willing to uh, to to get the music out there and fund it and everything. Um, and and that's how we got that, um, you know. Uh, Rockheads and 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 his solo kind of his post you know solo record out there even though you know it, it wasn't um, it was a labor of love putting it all together you know but um, I, I just think that dear friend was a perfect opportunity for me to um, you know lyrically kind of express myself and it's always fun um, and it's a challenge writing lyrics where you don't want to make it too literal what 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 you mean but if you look at the lyrics you can clearly tell you know that I'm talking about um, you know someone that I lost you know and uh, there's enough references to things like you know thundering you know thunder and stuff you know where it's it was Eric you know um, some of the lyrics were helped out by John Karabi and our producer, uh, Bob Marlette. Um, the whole concept of the lay hands on, uh, is a kind of, it's some sort of like maybe Buddha or some sort of, uh, you know, other ritual of how you pay homage to someone that you've lost, you know? And, um, 
I, I really love the way that song came together. It was very emotional. And I know there's a couple of times I even got to play it live acoustically with John Karabi when we toured in Europe, and it was really emotional for me to sing it. Yeah. But I'm really proud of that track. There's something about it that really came together. And um, I know a lot of fans know about it, but mm. I, uh, I've even had some artwork from fans that they shared with me with the lyrics and showing you know, their expression of uh, what it meant to them. But I was real proud of that. Definitely, as you should be. It's a tremendous, you know, piece of work that uh, mm-hmm. honors Eric Carr's memory. And speaking of work, you guys, as you know, on Sterlingtology Live, currently in rotation on our regular broadcast, we have, of course, Skya Forever, which is, of course, featuring Bruce Kulick on lead guitar. It's a great, great track. We have it on rotation on WEMF Radio currently, and that track is Carry On. So uh, right. check that Thank out. Thank you. Yeah. It's a great track. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing it. I, I, I do get asked from time to time from, especially Team Scandinavia really wants to have my involvement, you know, which is which is wonderful. I, I, I love all the countries there, and the, they're such Kiss fans. And um, for, for many of the people that are uh, that reach out, um, they know me as the first Kiss guitarist, and, and, and probably Eric Carr is the first drummer, too, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, that was my time. I mean, I got into this whole like kiss thing in '87 during the crazy night yeah, period. So you uh, I feel there you on that, my friend. All right, Bruce Kulick, we thank you so much for taking time today to be part of our show. We appreciate you and keep it going, my friend. Well, thank you very much, and uh, have a great holiday season. Okay. You too, Bruce. Thank okay. you. All right, thank you, now. my friend. That was more or less the vibe of Sterlingology Live on WEMF for the rest of the year. Yeah. Because at the end of 2016. I ended up leaving America. Yes. For San, you know, for Sao Paulo and Brazil. Brazil. Yes. I remember, and you had one of the most memorable going away shindigs, soiree, whatever you want to call it. The one you missed. Listen, I saw the clips. All my friends were there. All of them. It was dope, let me tell you. The venue is now owned by Salt Bay. But at the time, it was known as Liquid Art House. Liquid Art House over on Arlington Street. So much fun. You had people buzzing about this for quite some time. It was crazy. It was a crazy time. You know, we had uh, everyone from Hustle Simmons there to, you know, my dear confidant Gosha. She pulled up and just anybody who was anybody. Anybody who was anybody. Socialites, influencers. There was 300 people who could not wait to see my ass leave Boston. Okay, that's what it was, you know? <laughs> no, we were all super happy for you. I was cheering from you from the side. I couldn't make it. I feel like I was out of town. But listen, I Might wanted to go to that party so bad. Well, it was a vibe. I know. We had some great nights out prior to that. We did. And that's why literally I had hoped to be there. But. Listen, I know how you get down. I'm sure the tequila was flowing. Absolutely was that night. You're a king of nightlife. King of the nighttime world, I'm told. You know, <laughs> but uh, no. But yeah, uh, that day after, yeah. I was on a plane to Campinas, Sao Paulo, and I spent about half a year there. And at the time, the plan was for me to live there permanently. It was. I remember that too. Ultimately, you know, home came calling. And I returned to Boston that summer of 2017. Yes. But it was not with WEMF. Hmm. At this point, a new outfit, not new, but about six years in the game, but a new radio station took me on and Sterlingology Live. It's literally the station airing this very special, the one where you and I are taping this show. Right now. Boston Free 
Radio, y'all. BFR, y'all. Free speech to the world. And Boston Free Radio exists to this day. Well, in 2017, mm-hmm. they took on Sterling Tology Live and Jermaine Sterling after several years of WEMF. And we took the whole morning show there. About a month into that, we had one of the most memorable and longest interviews I ever had. Oh, wow. So if you know me, (laughs) you know one of my greatest inspirations artistically is a dope artist and activist named M.I.A. Oh, yeah. I mean, she is top tier for you. Everything. Yeah. Well, one of the great blessings of my last few years of doing radio was being able to interview some of MIA's dopest collaborators, mm. from DJs to recording artists, you name it. Yep. Well, in particular, this one was a DJ named DJ Tyga 784. Yes, DJ Tyga 784. St. Vincent, y'all. Tell us about some of your experiences on the AIM tour so far. Any good stories, greatest gig that you've played with MIA so far? Ah, uh, yeah, sure. Um, I've got, I've got to say, um, in everything in life you do, there, there are good times and there are bad times. Right. <clears throat> when I say bad times, I don't mean bad time as in like extreme disagreements or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But what, what, what do you want to hear first? The good stuff or, or the not so good stuff first? <laughs> well, in my opinion, the if they all, if they all add to an experience, there really is no good or bad. They are all part of the lesson all that right. continues on. All right. So I'll share my first ever gig with MIA. Go for it. So this was in Manchester, uh, Manchester Warehouse. I thought that this, this, this thing was going to be the biggest show we ever did. Mm-hmm. Well, of course it wasn't, but that was the biggest show I ever did. So I'm going there with the decks and everything. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Tiger, are you ready? I'm having people tie my shoelaces. I'm having people put my pants on. I'm like, am I a baby? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but through it all, I'm there. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm like, yo, I can't put this thing on yet. I'm, I'm sweating too much, you know, I'm sweating too much because I'm, I'm so nervous. Then get up there because we have rehearsals before we do that gig, before we did that gig. So mm-hmm. went up there, did the show. Had no mic, used no mic mm-hmm. or anything. But this is the this this was like the opening stage for me, like my opening stage at her show. Um, she was supposed to be on on like eleven, mm-hmm. so they called me up to song test. So I'm testing the song. I played a track that's mm-hmm. not even on the set list. Then the track runs out, and they're not signaling me that she's coming. So He's looking at me and he's shaking his head. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I looked over at the, the rest team. I'm like, hey, what should I do? They're like, mm, I don't know. I'm like, are you kidding me? And there are like probably about 2,000 people or more people staring dead at me. And I'm shitting my pants up there. So I decided, you know what? I might as well DJ. Right. So I just started to DJ and I didn't know what to play. Like I'm outside my comfort zone. What do I play for Manchester people? Mm-hmm. What do I play? I never even played outside the Caribbean. So what do I play? Man, wow. I just went with some some stuff that I think they know. 
and they they just had a big sing along. <laughs> 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 that was my first gig with her. She came on after she's like, "Tiger, cut that, cut that." <laughs> but like, oh my god! And I just grabbed the mic and went, "Oh shit, she's in the building." That's funny. Best show. It was the first show, and I would like put that show next to my heart because that was my first show with her. Mm-hmm. And apart from few little um, mess ups, I did. Mm-hmm. Because it was my first show, and being so nervous, it actually went great. Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> and she came. She came to me. She came up, and she was like, "You were amazing." She gave me a hug. She was like, "Oh, you're amazing." <laughs> That's the best compliment you can get, right there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's but great. But then mm-hmm. there was this one time, and well, no, not this one time when we did the Meadow Show, right? Oh yes. That was the big, like, the first time I've actually seen her. Like, I don't know if she was nervous or if she was mad, but I think it was more nervous. Mm-hmm. So she's she's standing there, and we 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 just came off and doing rehearsal, and she's like, "Right, did you guys go out last night?" I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm walking away now because I know I went out. I had few drinks. Right. Well, I wasn't drunk or anything like that because I know we had rehearsals and we're in the U.S. after three years, was it? Three, three years, years, yes. Three years. Exactly. So I know this meant a lot to her. So I had to be on my P's and Q's. Mm-hmm. And she's like freaking out. And she's like, I need professionals. <laughs> oh, thing, man. Okay? I need professionals. And she's, she's totally lost it. Oh, my goodness. She totally lost it. But on stage, right? Mm-hmm. And we were doing a meadow show. She was so calm and having so much fun. All right. And then, so we also have on the Sterlingology Live morning show, Joey Carvello. Joey Carvello. Y'all, if you are a longtime resident of Boston, you recall when Joey Carvello was the program director for one of the top stations in our area. It was Kiss 108. Oh, yeah. And this is back in 1980 when he was their program director. But he was also the top disco DJ of New England. So I guess the question, you know, does come up here. So uh, the beginnings of Joey Carvello's run and his beginnings with disco, too. So, you know, when did you first come across, you know, disco, the vibe in Boston, the sound? I mean, what was your beginnings like for you? It was it was um, it was 19, 1973. Um you know, um, here's, here's the deal. There was a, a huge contingency of, of of white folks in Boston who loved R&B music, but the only outlet they had to listen to R&B music was WILG. Oh, yes, M1090. Yeah, w, yeah, and that was, you know, and that was, uh, you know, a, a Sunrise to Sunset, a radio station. So you only got it during the day. And, you know, there's really no other outlet for, for, for urban music, for R&B. And so, you know, in the clubs in Boston, we were all rock clubs, you know. Yeah. And then one day I heard about this spot called Zelda's on Com Ave, mm. where they played all soul. And it was really cool. And you'd get dressed up. And the girls were hot. The waitresses <laughs> were sexy. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, I went there. It was me and 
and Frankie Deepak's wow was, you know, one of my best friends growing up and hanging out and me and Carl Lupo and Ricky Macheco, we went across the bridge, we got in line, walked in there. And the first song I heard, which I never heard before, when I walked into that room, small room, was Soul Makosa by Mama DeBango. Oh my God. I, I, I went to my knees. I went there to pick up chicks, man. But I was not interested. Once I got that, started <laughs> hearing that music, doing it to death. Uh, La La The Peace Song by O.C. Smith. And one after the other that I had never heard before. Yeah. That was it. I was hooked. And the scene was amazing. And that was my first time, you know. And um, <clears throat> I started collecting those music, you know, going to Skippy White's, you know, and in Dorchester and in Central Square, mm. going to Dorchester back then, you know, in the early seventies for a white dude to be walking around Blue Hill Ave was <laughs> pretty crazy at that time. You know, I said, what are you doing here? I'm going to Skippy White's. Okay, man, go ahead. I said, All right, cool. You know? And, um, I collected the records and I was, you know, I would play at the parties that we had after hours mm-hmm. at our apartment. And, you know, my friend Carl Lupo, I was looking for a job. I'm sleeping on his couch trying to find my way. My friend Carl Lupo right. pulled out the newspaper and he said, look, they're looking for a DJ at a place called Yesterday's in Kenmore Square. I said, okay. I went and I auditioned. All my friends showed up. Didn't know what I was doing. Played a few records. They gave me the job. And the rest, as they say, is history. You know, I got to tell became, you guys. Yeah, I became... I got yeah, to yeah. tell you guys too out there who may be a younger listening audience, you have no idea how huge the disco movement was during this time in Boston, New York, oh, London, God. Japan, everywhere around the world, disco was it. And Joey Carvello was right at the forefront on the ones and the twos. And now you mentioned Sol Makosa was your first exposure to disco. I want to know, in the years since, what has been your greatest discovery on vinyl for the disco sound? What's been that, that one record that just made you go, oh my God, I cannot believe I found this. Oh God! I mean, that's like you know. I have to say, you know, um, recently I actually found a, a, a copy of Paulo Benito by Katunga, mm. which is so rare. And I got it for short money, and I found that online. But I'm always finding stuff. You know, like I believe in miracles by the Jackson Sisters. Always tough to find. I found one of those recently. Keep the fire bird, uh, burning. By Gwen McRae on 45, you know, it was an early, it was like it was a 1981 record. Mm-hmm. Unbelievably rare. It's a $100 record. I found one of those, you know, but, you know, a lot of my, I, I'm, my, a lot of my favorite records I happen to have were house records, you know, mm-hmm. soulful house records that came out in the 90s that would throw back to the disco right. that I actually made when I was at Atlantic Records myself. Right. You know? But I'm always finding every week I find, I mean, that's a tough question because every week I'll find something, you know, Oh No, The Beast Day by Marsha Hunt. I'm always finding those rare records and Mm. it's a thrill, especially in New York. So a lot of them are so Boston that I play in New York. I played in New York the first time and I get those New Yorkers to rub the neck over the turntable and say, what the hell is that? (laughs) You know, did you ever attend? Uh, Yeah. uh, I mean, I find them. I mean, once a week I find stuff and I say to myself, Oh my God, I can't believe I found that, you know? It's wild, man. You know, as a record collector myself, you know, it's that thrill of the hunt and that thrill of the find, you know, definitely. And uh, when you find that discovery, you go, oh, my God, I got to hear this and I got to spend this for my followers. So, I mean, you mentioned house music and Boston. Did you ever attend the loft back in the day? No. So you broke again. I left. I moved to L.A. in 1986. Okay. So I was never a, a house. I never got a chance to really play 
house music as a DJ. I mean, I, my connection to house was that I, as you know, when I was uh, senior director of dance music at Atlantic Records from mm-hmm. 89 to 93, I made, I A&R made and signed some huge house records. So that was my connection. Robin S. Show Me Love is me. Um, Little Louis Vega and Mark Anthony, Right on the Rhythm was mine. Mm-hmm. Deep in My Heart by Clubhouse was mine. Wow. The Bingo Boys. So I got to make a lot of them, and I always wanted to play them. And when I started playing at Mobile Mondays here in New York, I think in 2010 is when I started, I got to start to play some house records. You know, and I, I'm going to play, I'm just going to give everybody a heads up, I'm going to play three or four tomorrow night <laughs> i know we don't play a lot of them over there right uh, at the middle east but i'm gonna play a couple of them but you won't be disappointed it'll be the good ones i'll tell you right now too with joey carvello he's gonna bring a whole different kind of flavor and flair to solo Luya that yeah. will absolutely bring such uplifting vibes you'll be yeah on, yeah clouds nine yeah, 10 yeah, 11, Sean and i talked about that that i want you know i want to open it up a little bit a little bit more disco yeah i'm not gonna play you know you're not gonna hear ring my bell by uh, um, Anita Ward. Good. Great record. I'm not going to play those <laughs> real popular ones. You're going gonna, gonna to play the ones that Boston loves, and they're going to go, oh my God, I haven't heard that in such a long time. This is great. That's it's awesome. all going to be very soulful disco, mm-hmm. soul dance, yeah. soulful house records, no hip hop, you know? Right. So I think everybody will be very, very happy tomorrow night. What do you think in your mind makes someone a great DJ? I, I, it's it's reading the crowd, giving the crowd what they want. Um, you know, uh, t- you know. Technically, I mean, it's always important to keep it moving and keep the flow going. But it's about looking at that crowd and saying, "Okay, this is what they want," and you give it to them. And also being able to connect with the crowd. I, you know, a lot of DJs don't want to take requests. They don't want to talk to people when they play. I, you know, if I have it and I can get it in. Mm-hmm. I'll always take requests. I always want to hear from the crowd. I'm not one of those those guys that, you know, when it's somebody approaches the book, you put your booth, you put your hand up and say, leave me alone. That's not me. Come hang with me, stand next to me, dance with me. Just don't bump into the turntables, okay? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, this man will bring it like no other. Now, you mentioned earlier on your work with Atlantic Records and in the recording industry. Mm-hmm. And along the way, you've met so many huge artists over the years. And I got to ask about it, you know, because some folks are going to want to know. You've had interaction, of course, with Snoop Dogg, bringing him to the East Coast for yeah. the first time. Uh-huh. What do you, do you have like, do you have one really like, memorable Snoop Dogg story you can share with the listeners out there? I'll, I'll do a really, I'll do a, a quick one. Sure. Um, uh, when, when Snoop, uh, won, when I wanted Snoop, I was with for Priority Records, when I wanted Snoop to come to the East Coast, it was uh, shortly after the whole East Coast, West Coast thing and the big, um, right. the big fight at the Source Awards in New York. And it, it was, you know, Snoop just didn't want to come here. He just didn't think that the East Coast, especially New York, had love for him. He never had really New York radio airplay. I had, you know, already made my calls to everybody and everybody wanted him. So finally, right. Garnett March, who's the senior VP of promotion priority, said to Snoop, just do it with this guy. Sat down with Snoop, and the first thing we started talking about was disco. And That's him awesome. and his mom, used to, he used to drink a 40 with his mom, and they listened to disco. His favorite artist back then was Willie Hutch, and we hit it off. Wow. Come to that. So the day, the day of the show, I go to the Sony studios. I'm, I'm flying in 30, 40 program directors, big, big, big deal. I walk into the room and there are red curtains everywhere. (laughs) 
Uh, not good. Uh, and I would not, uh, aficionado hip hop, but I know that right. the bloods are red, the crips are blue right. and Snoop was a crip. I don't know how we pulled it off, but we got all those curtains down and there put up blue one. <laughs> Snoop told, Snoop said to me, I'm going to come. He said, Joe, I'm going to be there. I said, but I'm going to do some, I'm going to do an hour and I'm going to leave. So he's supposed to be there at 10, shows up at 11, walks into the room. Short story is he was there till six o'clock in the morning with everybody, took pictures, signed autographs, had the best time. We did great. We did Hot 97 in New York Radio in the morning. Right. And from that point on, we were tight. You know, after that, he did many, many things for me. And at the end of the day, the coolest artist I ever worked with in my life is definitely Snoop Dogg. The smartest, Little John. The coolest was Snoop. In September 2019, after the morning show called it a wrap, Sterling would curate a new radio series, The Chop Session. This show would be unlike any other Sterling had presented so far, a weekly one-hour series focusing on interviewing a single guest. The Chop Session soon became Sterling's most popular show so far, featuring intimate and thought-provoking conversation. It would go on to earn an SMC honor in 2020, and five seasons on, the series continues to this day. The Chop Session. Okay. So, this series is still ongoing, of course, and by far it's my proudest series. It's an award-winning series as well, you know, and I think we've really hit a stride with this format we began the chop session a few months after Sterling Tology Live left the airwaves. And when that show ended on Boston Free Radio, I had a couple of options ahead of me where I could do different things. And one of those was to start a podcast, which I had never done before. And that became the Sterling Perspective, which lasted a couple of years and was fun for the time. But what really ended up being the long lasting project is the chop session, which was designed to be a weekly one hour radio show with a single guest focusing on their story, their journey. And we did this mainly because I had watched a show called The Big Interview with Dan Rather on a cable station, and he had interviewed some great guests like Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, and I saw how he did those interviews, and I thought those were some of the best interviews Gene or Paul had ever done. And I said, you know something, I want to do a show just like that one. So that became The Chop Session. And I didn't know if it would last long or not. I thought, okay, we'll try it, see how it goes. I don't know if we can do this forever, but hey, man, five seasons on now. We're still doing it. And for five seasons, the chop session has been 60 minutes of intimate, thought-provoking conversation with the names you need to know now. So y'all indulge me now because we're going to get into the best of the chop session going forward here on this special Kicking off with our very first guest, one of my favorite humans in this industry. And y'all, she is still at it. She just dropped a new EP called Quarter Life Crisis. It's amazing pop. Go run it up now on your favorite DSP. But in 2019, Avanti Negral was in a different place. She was still living in the USA. And she was gracious enough to be our first guest on the CHOP session and discuss every aspect of her career up to that point, including her acting career. So check out this clip. Monty Negral, actress. We left off there. <laughs> you have a story you want to share that you've never shared before on my airwaves. So 
Go for it. Let's hear this. So it's so funny to hear me like a Fanti Negral actress because I don't consider myself one in the sense, of course, I have a background in professional theater, but um, yeah. Let me let me explain what I'm talking about. So um, I took a year off between high school and college to do certain music opportunities, certain festivals, shows, things like that. I was doing a global health fellowship, and I had the opportunity to be. Um, to, to play the lead on a Broadway show reproduction in India of Agnes of God. Very cool. Have you heard of or seen the show Agnes of God? I've heard of Agnes of God, but I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen it. No, that's okay. Well, you can <laughs> see it on online because it was converted into a movie with Jane Fonda, Meg Tilly, and a huge star-studded cast. And yes. it, it actually won the Oscars. It's a cool, cool show to see. Um, very... I don't want to give away spoilers for those of you who are planning to see it, but essentially it does touch upon a lot of issues through a particular lens. It touches upon child abuse, mental health issues, things like that. Right. But um, much of the lens is through the three voices of three women who are Agnes, which is the role I was playing, a mother right. superior, and a psychiatrist. Um, so anyway, so I played Agnes on this. It was my first professional acting role where um, the reason I took it initially was because I had a prominent singing role in it. And it was really crazy because, you know, one moment I'd be hypnotized on stage and the next I'd have to break out into Ave Maria. So it was a very different kind and style. Ave Maria. Sorry. No, exactly. Wrong he's, show. He's a, he's a pro. He's a pro, you know? That's, that's, my, that's, that's for the podcast. This is the job session. <laughs> I will not do that again. Go on. But, um, so the show was great. You know, it went, we were pairing really well. There's a lot of good feedback. And then, four days before opening night, we were at the director's house rehearsing, and we get a call saying, somebody wants to arrest all of you and imprison the director. We thought it was a prank call at first, because who would say that in their right mind? And as it turns out, it wasn't. It was somebody had filed an FIR, which I think the equivalent in the U.S. is like, I don't know, filing like a police complaint, essentially. Um, he was from this organization called the Catholic Secular Forum. I don't know how the words Catholic and secular go together, but that's a whole other story. Um, and... It's a future podcast right there. It's a future podcast. <laughs> yes. And um, he was able to get a ton of Christian donor-backed venues in India, which is a lot because, you know, we used to be a British colony, to ban us from performing. So we were banned from our original opening, on opening night venue, but another venue stepped up and, you know, they heard about the controversy. And this man had allegations ranging from, like, he tried everything. He tried the blasphemy allegation. He tried the fact, he's like, none of the actors are Christians, so they can't perform this. He tried an allegation along the lines of, this is too Western for us, and it's too modern. And it's like, hello, this was converted into a movie. It won the Oscars. The Vatican literally endorses this as a must-see because it's about miracles. And yeah. this man <laughs> has his own agenda. Turns out, of course... As with most things in this case, he wanted money and he wanted political power. And, you know, he managed to get the home ministry involved, though. Um, so on the day of the show, in the morning, we had a meeting at the minister's house. Yeah. And it was crazy. Like, that evening, there were 80 policemen in the audience making sure there was no riot that broke out. Literally, 
If you're interested in this story, type in Agnes of God controversy. Don't even type in my name. Don't even type in Avanti, just, or like India, just literally type in Agnes of God controversy and you will be able to read all about it and, you know, fresh off the press. So for me, that was a very interesting experience because I had just turned 18 and mm. I was able to see the power of the arts toward making a statement in a very up close and personal way. Um, and of course, no press is bad press. So, you know, we went on to perform several shows, got nominated at the National Awards. I got a nomination for Best Actress. And, yes. you know, it was all um, wonderful in that capacity. But it was really scary in those first few days because, you know... I would imagine so, yeah. yes. <laughs> I mean, having having just turned 18, I was no longer off limits to the press in terms of needing, needing a guardian or whatever. Right. And so I was getting calls every day, left, right, and center. It was It was insane. Well, you know, I'll tell you this. The fact that you have such a daunting situation, you know, on your doorstep like that, yeah. <laughs> you know, here you are trying to create art. Totally. And there's somebody out there so against that expression of art, they're willing to take a prosecution against you here Yeah. to say how against their your art they are, you know? I mean, that's, that is one of the scariest challenges any creator can face. 100%. You know, having somebody so against what you do they're willing to end your freedom for it or end your career for it, you know. And it really shows the kind of strength that you possess, that you can survive such a scary experience and continue to empower, <laughs> continue to create. Because I can tell you right now, a lesser practitioner of this art might have been scared right out of the business. That is true. It, it, it's a, it was definitely scary, but... Um... Yeah, we, we persevered. There's also a really funny story associated with it. Go for it. Um, <laughs> so in the show, um, there's a point at which I have to bleed from my hands. And, um, you know, like as a sign of stigmata, right? I was, the production team was supposed to handle this, but because of all the legal nonsense, like they were at lawyers' offices and police stations, so yeah. nobody was worrying about how... Avanti was going to bleed from her hands. Therefore, I was left up to my devices. And I tried, Sterling, I tried everything. I tried, you know, straws and sponges and balloons and just everything. And I couldn't figure out how to do it in such a way that I could hide it and then spontaneously bleed without it seeming obvious. Right. Um, so the solution we came up with was using a condom. Um, because I needed something, <laughs> quite literally, that would, like, hold the fake blood, would not burst prematurely, but that I could manipulate to do whatever I wanted <laughs> later on. That's pretty wild. And so, literally, because of this whole controversy, you know, that was kind of religiously contentious, I had one person on production every single show whose job, sole job, was to be my condom taper. Because the last thing I needed in the show was for a blood-filled condom to fall out on stage. Dope clip right there. And uh, yeah, Avanti Negral, what a credit to the scene she is and to music. And her fashion game is on point as well. How I did you Avanti. come across her as an artist? I met Avanti Negral through Experience Creative, the old outfit of Lisa Finelli Fallon. Uh, she introduced me to Avanti, mm -hmm. you know, the previous year. We had her on the morning show a couple of times. You know, brought a great vibe to the studio. We got along awesome. And I knew when we started this morning show, I mean, this chop session thing, 
you know, I knew when we started the chop session yeah. that I wanted to invite Navanti Negral as our first guest. Okay. And I knew that that would be our situation and what a situation, you know? Yeah. She was so good at it. And what a great guest. I love the level up. I mean, it seems like there's a distinctive difference of chop sessions versus your previous work. And every time that you uh, have changed your direction, you've you've literally changed the playing field. Absolutely. This is like showing true growth here. Certainly. And then with your chop sessions, you've also had Yolanda Salucci. That episode was at the end of season, I believe it was season two. One of the most important pieces of the history of nightlife, you cannot talk about nightlife without studio being mentioned. Uh, I mean, my God, is the, to me, the crown jewel of nightlife. To this day, even though it's long been gone in its original incarnation, you have incarnations in Vegas and things like that, but I'm talking about that original Steve Rubell and Schrager founded studio out in New York City. I was too young to get in, sadly. I was... I won't even talk about how young I was when it opened, but uh, I will say that if I could turn back the clock and if I could be born at an earlier time, you better believe I would have been at that front gate and just praying that I got in, Yolanda. And they did. It was funny how you'd watch the the gentlemen that were out there. They had the rope, you know, tied tightly and they'd like pick and choose. Like, you can come. No, you can't come. Nope, you're okay. You can come. So yeah. And a lot of it was on your appearance. The more outrageous and more fantastic you look, the more they wanted you there. So it was like, not like today where they just throw on a pair of jeans or jogging pants and go out. I mean, they were dressed, dressed to the nines and beautifully dressed and fun. I mean, it wasn't, um, it was all glitter, glamour and fun. I mean, that's just what it was. I mean, you look at the history of studio and you look at, like, for example, some of the more iconic regulars that we had at studio, like Bianca Jagger, Andy Warhol, Halston, Liza Minnelli. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. the list goes on and on. And it's really cool to know that Yolanda Salucci blessed studio in more than one occasion. Yeah. Funny because I ended up having the picture taken, which I still have with Roberta Cavalli, and he was just starting out then. And I have originally never thought years later uh, in my store I would be carrying his things. And I started carrying his dresses and his outfits, which is still very fabulous. And uh, Dionne Warwick, I have pictures with her in Studio 54. Um, it was great. I bumped into this New York photographer that I asked, could he send them to me? Cause he was clicking away and he did. He sent them to me. And it was really exciting. So I still have those as special memories and special times in my life. Let's talk about how Yolanda Salucci found her way into this industry. Well, it's really kind of a long story, but a very exciting story in a way. I basically was a bookkeeper by trade when I married my husband and he was in business and uh, doing very well. And then he ran into some roadblocks where we got into a financial position that I was kind of forced to go to work with him to make sure that we could survive. And I had two small children at the time. And um, from the just the 
stress of having a problem financially, I started losing my hair. And uh, I went out and bought a wig so I could get a job. And I styled it myself. And I found people were stopping me and saying, I love your hair. It's so beautiful. And I'd say, well, it's just a wig. And they were so fascinated because they had friends, either a mother or a niece or someone that had a car accident that they needed a wig. And they started asking me, you know, could I get them one and where did I get it? So I started actually buying some wigs and going from hospitals and homes and nursing homes to assist people. And I was actually doing it just out of the goodness of my heart. And uh, someone said to me one day, you know, you can make money doing this. Why don't you go into business? And I said, no, I'm just glad I can help people. And it ended up that a friend of mine had an import license and uh, he was instrumental in connecting with someone in Italy with real hair wigs and brought them in. And I started this little business and uh, from my house. And it got so busy that we really couldn't even have dinner because the doorbell was ringing all the time because we were right. operating home. And uh, I finally saw this cute little place. Um, in Belmont, and it was an old funeral home that was closing, and I went in, and it said for rent, and I asked how much it would cost, and he told me, and I'd have to find a lease, and I went back and talked to my husband, and by then, my husband's business was really doing well and surviving, and we said, well, if you think you can do it, and I did. I started with just a couple of women from the school uh, that helped me answer phones and do things, and uh, I took this funeral parlor over and I made the uh, embalming room a massage room (laughs) and uh, (laughs) the downstairs became a health club and the upstairs was a beauty salon and then where the lights used to hit on the casket to highlight the bodies, I put all the wigs. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And uh, (laughs) my original idea was to sublease to all different vendors so I wouldn't have to carry everything myself and nobody was interested they felt like why would a beauty salon be with a dress salon be with a wig salon be with a health club and um, I found myself having to do it all myself and hire people so I hired a couple of hairdressers and I hired a girl to exercise uh, and teach classes and I ended up doing it all by myself which I would prefer to have had you know, vendors coming in and paying me rent, but it didn't work out that way. Uh, but it was very successful. Uh, within five years, uh, we outgrew the building. It was like we had no more parking. Uh, we couldn't take any more customers. And um, we had to look for a lo- new location or buy the building. We thought about buying it, but it was still, that wasn't going to help the problem with the parking and uh, the expanded business that we had done. And at that point, my husband was very successful, and he said, I have a piece of land with a house on it. What if I knock it down and build you a store? And it was in a kind of a lousy area in in Waltham at the time. There were kind of oil tanks around, and I said, that crappy piece of property? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm going to give it to you for nothing, and I'm going to tear it down and build you a store. And he did. Within less than six months, this man worked day and night and put all his effort into building this fantastic store. And, and um, 
had already had a clientele from Belmont. We were only probably a mile away. So the same customers came to the new store. And uh, that was the beginning of Yolanda's, the real Yolanda's that started about 1975 that just grew and grew every year we had to add to it and add to it. And we did have the space and the land, so it, it worked out really well. But it, it was it was really um, 45 years of just wonderfulness. Uh, hard work, but very rewarding because every year something new was added, and it was very exciting. In the annals of East Coast hip-hop, few are as respected as my guy terminology. And he was a gracious man to come here and be our first guest for season three of The Chop Session. One of my favorite episodes of the series. To this day, if a person asks me, which episode of The Chop Session should I start with? I always point to this one. And here's an example of why. Here's a clip of your man Sterling and terminology chopping it up on The Chop Session, September of 2021. And yeah, man, big love and big respect now and always to terminology. Good dad gang lives on. As a listener term of the mixtapes that terminology has dropped, my personal number one selection has always been if heaven was a mile away. I still have the slimline disc, in fact, Fire. before that. God, man, Jay Dilla, Soulquarian, Slum Village, story goes on and on, but it's safe to say term James DeWitt Yancey, Jay Dilla, is one of the most important producers in hip-hop history and surely a future rock and roll Hall of Famer. So let's hear terminology on Jay Dilla. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was introduced to Dilla through hip-hop, of course, without knowing. You know, um, as a kid, you're not, you're not aware enough to read credits. But as you get older, you can go back and, and read credits. At least in our day, we did with the physical CDs. So now you would have to go into Tidal or Spotify and try to find out who the producer was or Google. But um, yeah, man, I, I've always liked Jay Dilla. And Static actually, you know, put me on and made me like a super fan of Jay Dilla. Um, you know, because he put me onto his whole entire catalog. Uh, and actually gave me most of the beats that you hear on the If Heaven Was a Mile Away. Mm -hmm. um, Static had a folder that had like 250 Jay Dilla beats on it. And he gave me the folder. And some of the beats actually were never even released. I don't know how he got them, but he had about 10 that never were released. And on the mixtape we did, some of them were out uh, to the public and people, other people rapped on and some of them were uh, actually never heard before. So um, it was it was a crazy experience dropping that mixtape because um, he, Jay Dilla's music was being put out through Nature Sounds. Yeah. And at the, it was at the same time that I was on Nature Sounds. So I was able to get a pass on certain things, but even still, um, the mixtape was like blocked from being sold, you know, because obviously his family owned the rights. And, um, it was a free mixtape that was on that piff That's mm -hmm. at the time. You know what I mean? So even though they liked it and they expressed that they liked it, um, the family, it just, it wasn't able to be sold. And that's why it's not bigger um, than it should, than it should be today, yeah. honestly. But, uh, but yeah, as a, as a fan, I'm a huge fan and, you know, static, like I said, kind of gave me the folder mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, there's like 19 songs on it. We went in yes. on that joint. Yes. We went in on that. It's a dope mixtape. Like I said, my personal favorite 
of all of the terminology mixtapes that are out there in the streets. It's called If Heaven Was a Mile Away, Y'all, and of course, Rest in Paradise, uh, Jay Dilla. And you know, speaking again about the icons and the legends of hip-hop term, one thing I do want to also touch upon is, you know, sadly, in spite of their cred and undeniable influence, there are so many hip-hop pioneers out there who I don't believe have, you know, the same level of respect or care that has been taken for them that some of the other superstars or other legends like Dre or Jay-Z have had. You know, sometimes you hear stories about some of the pioneers of the game that, you know, sadly may have been used by poor management or may have been taken advantage of or, you know, have been left broke because of decisions that were made through contracts and things like that they had no control over. And to me, you know, it's a sad situation because some of these folks out there should not be living that way because of their stature, because of what they've given to the game. What are your feelings on this? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that uh, it's sad when you see a lot of the pioneers and people that, uh, you know, invented hip hop or, you know, were there from the beginning of hip hop. And like you said, due to um, contractual things, they're, you know, they're not getting what what they deserve. And um, there's so much money, um, you know, being made uh, with these corporations, you know, that they're is infinite funds that can be given back uh, to our legends and our pioneers. Unfortunately, um, we would need the right people to be able to give those opportunities out. You know what I mean? So um, I just think the people uh, should step up and kind of show them some love. And at the same time, uh, I will say that every man is responsible for himself. So we would hope that if somebody uh, was in poor fortune and they got a second chance that, you know, that they do the right thing. Absolutely. You know, I can recall a story I heard a few years back, you know, in regards to the great DJ Cool Herc, who frankly was the pioneer of this shit, you know, in 73 in the Bronx, when he came up, you know, to do a set for the old Fresh Produce Night here in Boston at Good Life. I can recall hearing a couple of, you know, rumored stories about the status of DJ Cool Herc and a situation that, frankly, we have no business even prying into, but it's out there, you know, regarding his, you know, financial situation or living situation, things like that. It was all over the place at the time. Mm -hmm. And you didn't know what to believe, but in your head, you're thinking, man, fuck that. DJ Cool Herc, you know, I mean, goes without saying, this man invented this whole game. And if that was all true, he should never have been living that way or dealing with that shit, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Cool Herc should never be uh, going through that. You know what I mean? Never. Um, no. Somebody who invented this this thing of ours that everybody profits off, um, the inventor and the pioneers should be should be taken care of. Um, and that even comes back to show promoters. I mean, you guys... Uh, you know, respectfully, we'll pay little Uzi Vert $300,000 to come to a festival. Right. Um, that same festival, there will be also 20, 30 other people. The festival is going to be sold out no matter what, whether you add the one big artist or not, because the artists are interchangeable. So the you can't tell me that there's not budgets and money available that would change some of these guys' life. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, 
everybody that's profiteer like profiting off of hip hop uh should be responsible in taking care of the elders in hip hop to a degree uh not saying that you have to um you know go out of your way to like babysit anybody um, right. or give any free gifts but include the pioneers um into right. the new programming of things so that way they can eat too because without them there's no us here's one thing i want to know from you do you feel hip hop is still evolving in ways you find intriguing yeah for sure man um uh i would say like Jordan Lucas I've I heard Jordan Lucas rap a couple of times and it blew my mind. I'm like, "Yo, wow." Like cuz sometimes um we kind of feel like we heard it all before. And then um you know, when I heard some of his rhymes, I'm like, "Yo, this guy is different. Like he is really special." Um and uh you know, I've heard Eminem do that countless times. I've heard uh different people just kind of take the culture and elevate it whether it be a older artist a newer artist um but i think that hip hop is evolving um there's some things i miss about the you know the the origins and the rules that we had uh in our era meaning like you know 90s uh mid 2000s right. i miss there's a there's a lot of nostalgia in uh me missing the originality and caring about making a classic album versus just streaming right. um you know but i will say that you know again people newer uh, artists come through every now and then like Kendrick Lamar um and just blow blow us away with their talent and their god-given talent and their skill level um you know so shout out to people like that and it's not only people that rap fast i'm not just going to shout out the logics and the joiners and the eminems but there's also people that rap really slow that are amazing there's also people that sing that do beats um that yeah. ghostwrite uh that do fashion shout out to westside gun Uh I remember Westside Gun before he blew up he came to Statics. We were working together with him in 2016. Um and at that time he was relatively unknown. He just had one single out with Rock Marcy and Conway and from then to now it's like he's become like a staple in hip hop and been able yeah. to um show us our worth underground people are worth like hey listen i sell my sweater for $200 because i say it's worth that and if you agree then pay that and um i think uh there's a good and the bad to that i think there's a bad that people some people think that westside gun and they're not so they're trying to right. steal his sauce you know pause they're trying to steal like what he got going on mm -hmm. and i dislike that but i yeah. do like the influence i like the fact that he set a precedent um and made it understandable that Yeah, you can sell a, a item that was previously sold in our culture for $5, like a single CD, um to now you can sell it for $100. Yeah. And I just think that that's cool to put um respect on art. Not uh not to mention he's a dope rapper. So uh so yeah, I do think there's there's inspirations in this culture and there's uh there's things that come along every now and then that stick out. So, we were not intending for the chop session to be a seasonal show initially. Our original plan for the chop session was to go week to week with new interviews without a break. However, like all things in the year 2020, things got hung up at the height of the global health emergency, which by the way continues to linger to this day and it continues to affect people to this day. 
So in March 2020, Boston Free Radio comes to me and tells me that they are indefinitely shutting down, and that left the chop session on hiatus unexpectedly. And I can still recall around that same time looking on Instagram and seeing so many night venues and restaurants and shops and studios and everything announcing indefinite closings, which was such a shock to the system. And I felt so bad for everyone affected by this thing, you know. And yeah, man, we all had to adapt to this situation in some way or another and stay safe, of course, you know. People were staying home at that time. So without the chop session in production, I pivoted and curated a virtual event in benefit of the once Somerville music venue. We titled the event Embrace, a great time broadcasting this thing through the once virtual venue. We had some dope music acts like Tanya the Empress fronting Trilogy, we had Jasmine Red, we had Dead Harrison, DJ sets by Bob Diesel and Tori Double Cup, a fashion show by Jack Attack Clothing, and we had your man Sterling Golden co-hosting the event with Julianne Marie, and on my end, I'm on my living room couch hosting this thing, which definitely hit different. I'm not used to hosting events on my living room couch, you know, but everything was different and backwards and upside down in 2020. You recall this, I don't need to rehash it for you. Well, along the way, uh, Boston Free Radio did host a virtual SMC honors and honored the chop session, which I appreciated. Thank you again, Boston Free Radio and SMC. And then eventually, early 2021, Boston Free Radio was back in operation, and so is the chop session. Our second season was entirely virtual. You heard a clip of that earlier on with Yolanda Salucci. And my voice was a bit muffled because I had a face mask on at the mic out of extreme precaution. Again, things were wild back then, you know, in a whole different way from years ago at the height of the party life, you know. Well, one thing I did do with the chop session after we got back in production was I began to ask every guest one question. And that is, how did 2020 and the global health emergency affect your trajectory And how did you adapt to that challenge and respond to that challenge? I've had some great answers to that question. And I'll share a couple of those with you here on this special. The first of which comes from a good man I know out in the UK, African Boy, the king of UK grime. You may know African Boy for a viral hit he had many years back called One Day I Went to Lidl. He collabed with MIA on the track Hustle on the iconic album Kala. And has continued to drop some fire music ever since. Well, in December of 2021, we had African Boy call in on the CHOP session, and he discussed how 2020 and the global health emergency affected him and how he responded to those challenges. And by the way, big love to African Boy. He's still doing it big and still doing it worldwide to this day. African Boy, from cancel culture to the aforementioned public health crisis, There's been so many challenges for people across the world from all walks of life. Now, I want to know from your perspective, African boy, how have you dealt with this era psychologically, spiritually? What kind of things do you do to maintain that uplifted vibe? And do you feel your spirit is stronger from your experiences during this era? 
Um, so what's that last bit again? Do I feel my experiences are stronger? Yeah. Do you feel that, you know, you've gained strength from dealing with the different challenges of this era? You know, have you become, you know, like many folks have right. found their strength during this time and how to deal and everything. I want to know how African boy has handled these challenges. Yeah, man, that's a great question. I mean, um, yeah, definitely was, I think most of the pandemic, I was quite grateful because, you know, I think I deal with like a lot of anxiety, like, and I maybe didn't realize, I think I'm a high functioning, I have high functioning anxiety, (laughs) which I think most people have. Right. But like, COVID was a time for me to let go of my high-functioning anxiety, honestly. And that took a while because it's like you're also battling against, and I know a lot of people felt this way, um, especially coming from a city. You come from a city like London, it's like you're just used to like being on the go. I'm used to feeling like I'm getting stuff done and having to be in a space where I have to be still. I have to like the whole world is like <laughs> in the same yes. situation. was weird. I had to like mentally remind myself that it's okay to be where I'm at. Like, I'm not, I'm not a failure. I'm not, uh, I'm not a bum. I'm not, you know, just whatever the mind might try to throw at me for being like, wow, you've been at home for so long or like, where's the next show? Like, where's the next release? You know, like, I'm just so used to going, but it's just, it was, it took a while, but once I really settled into, um, the peace and the serenity, I, I was quite happy that the whole world was in the same predicament because then I could wake up whatever time I woke up and not feel the anxiety that, oh my God, the business day is gone or, yeah. you know, whatever, like, because the whole world is there. So I actually had time to just try and delete that ang- that those thoughts that led to anxiety to be like, yo, don't, like, I'm not going nowhere today. And that's fine. Like, that's, that is the norm. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, so that... That that was cool. I'm not gonna lie. That was really refreshing for me, and I feel like I needed it. I feel like um, I was being. I feel like I was be- um, just before COVID. I was feeling uninspired. I was feeling like I was doing shows that wasn't giving me that that juice, that energy. You know, I just feel like I was being like I was. Maybe I was getting to a point of I was becoming burnt out, and that could lead to lack of motivation that can lead to more importantly lack of inspiration you know because if i'm not inspired to do this no more like it's never been easy you know um so it's literally my inspiration and my passion for what i do that keeps me going you know because it's not like you know i mean it's just not easy which is how it is yeah so i think um i think i was yeah i was getting burnt out at the end of 2019 and when covid hit and I settled into it, it literally allowed me to, I was thanking God a lot. I was like, thank you for this time because it was a special time as well in that I got to just, you know, do a lot of inner work, you know, focus on myself, focus on my craft. I got to really, you know, like we all had time to think about, you know, what I wanted to do next. Just having time to chill, you know, like, yeah, and just doing my, doing, doing the work on myself and, um, yeah, I seem to make, I made more money during the COVID yes. in some senses. So, I, you know, for me, I kind of, I had a positive experience mostly. Um, I mean, the hardest bit was being, not being able to, to see my children for a certain period of time, just because of like, in the beginning, no one really knew what the fuck was going on. So yeah. we just wanted to, for everyone to be as safe as possible and then travel restrictions, et cetera. And chill. so, you know, it was just a bit, I think that was probably the hardest thing. But um, 
yeah, no, I I liked it because I could stay at home and not feel guilty for doing so. And also, I definitely wasn't missing out on nothing because the whole world was on pause. So it was cool. Um, I had some interesting conversations. I was online more. I kind of connected with a whole new community. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I didn't really feel like I was coming through any challenges, although my mind would love to listen, but I don't feel like I, I had the obvious things like financially, finances, family, etc. But I, I really feel like I needed that break because I was coming, I was going to break, you know? Yes. So I needed that pause. Like I really needed it for the whole year. I had anxiety when the world was opening back up. I was like, oh, shit. i get it like i'm cool now i get it i'm loving it i don't i don't really want another lockdown i think i did yeah but um and i'm not repulsed to it either to to be honest um because i'm a bit of a hermit and that's where you get that creative you know you can go i can go into my creative cloud um but yeah i had anxiety thinking about coming out um it was good. Allow me time to, like I said, refresh my mind, refresh my spirit, my energy, and the kind of things I did to help me was just to kind of remember to myself that it is okay to feel how I'm feeling. To remember to myself that you know, um, if anyone else listening to this and you feel the same way, just always remember to yourself that you are great, you are enough, and we're not defined by these tasks that we do. You're more defined by the energy that you feel while doing whatever you're doing. So yes, you know. Um, Exactly. Just being able to feel whole, to feel worthy of being here, of holding space on earth, you know? Yes. Um, so yeah, it was a very important, you know, time for me for sure. Um, and I felt, yeah, I know, because I did a show shortly after, lo- not shortly after lockdown, it was a while, but the first show I did back in Woolwich in um, in UK to open up this new performance space venue. And wow, being on stage is like a breath of fresh air. Like all my, all, you know, all my catalogue felt fresh to me, felt fun. And for me, that was worth the lockdown because being on stage and feeling like you're tired of like your performance is not a good space to be. <laughs> I mean, you're always going to work and develop more, but it's just like, you know, you just want to feel excited. And I felt excited again. It's been literally two years since Absolutely. I've been on the stage and I felt it. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier on, in your answer there, African boy, about gratitude. And I think a lot of people during the public health crisis and during the shutdown periods and things of that nature, people began to gather those thoughts and remember everything and everyone that they are grateful for in this life. They found newfound strength. They found newfound talents. They found newfound ways to create business for themselves. In a lot of ways, I think you reflect the lighter side, the better side of what went down during the height of the crisis. And, right. you know, along with cancel culture, which we'll be hearing in just a minute, it's safe to say, I believe, too, I wrote that. that yeah. Exactly. So it's safe to say then you had, you know, new ideas for music from your experiences during this era. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was like, a, um, I mean, I remember at one point just waking up feeling like, wow, did I actually choose to be alive in this particular moment and time? And if so, this is an unprecedented time I'm in right now. Like, it felt like a movie. It's scary and excited. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
don't know what's gonna happen, but it's like, bro, this is really happening. Like the whole world has been on lockdown for two years. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, that's crazy. It really is, you know. <laughs> that's crazy. The I whole mean, world could just shut off. It like, can. The kid in me, who always saw the world a certain type of way, I think the kid in me was like amazed and just like, whoa, like, you know, shit can really go down, like on earth <laughs> it doesn't just all run how it runs you know like yes we were at home for two years it's crazy there is a fabulous new r&b artist in our area of new england here in the usa named shia who dropped a fire ep earlier this year called universe we recently shared the track blooming from that ep over on the sterling collections elite vibes 2022 playlist over on spotify go run that up now y'all well, Shia is another artist who I asked about 2020 and the global health emergency and how she responded to that challenge. We're going to go into April 2020 now, okay? The bizarre early days of the global health emergency. Now, amid all of this chaos, you know, this confusion and uncertainty, here is Shia on GarageBand, as you brought out earlier on producing and writing that first single, Toxic, which we'll hear in a few minutes here on the show. So take us into this process and how you found yourself adding the title of producer. Yeah, so like I said, my background was a lot of instrumental stuff at first. So I had a really good understanding of production from a young age. And I guess I don't really know what I was doing when I opened GarageBand for the first time, but I don't know, something just led me to creating what I did. And at the time, I didn't even know that I was going to sing on top of it. Like, I had no plan to record my vocals on top of it. It was more of just something that I did for fun because I'd had so much free time. Um, but I guess I ended up creating um, the beat, and I actually sent it over to one of my artist friends at the time who was like, that's a beat. Like, you should put something on top of that knowing that I also sang and I, you know, it's, I like to call it divine timing between the pandemic, having the extra free time, but also having recently gone through a very toxic situationship, um, what, which is what led me to creating the song. And it was almost like I didn't have to sit there and write. It was almost like I was just talking about what I was yeah. feeling. Um, and it ended up turning into a song. Honestly, the easiest song I've ever written. Um, I think I wrote it in like 20 minutes because it was truly just like pouring out of me. Um, and I think that is what gives it the rawness that you hear when you listen to it. For real, Shia, you know, I must tip my hat to you on Toxic. You took a time in history where people were at home, confused, not sure what to do amid this global health emergency. And you added the title of producer to your resume with this dope track called Toxic. And it shows in the work, you know, it's fire. People love it. I dig it, you know, and this was our first introduction to Shia as a producer. There's another thing I would like to kind of delve into, you know, and that is a quote that I have here from a 2020 piece about Toxic from Vanyaland by Victoria Wazalak. Mm -hmm. I'm going to quote here. Quoting Victoria writes, as a woman in the producer chair, let alone a brown woman, Ramanan Shaya says she's frequently on the receiving end of condescension and dumbed down technical talk. On the other hand, DMs offering her, quote, free studio time, unquote, 
seldom have anything to do with music making. It all makes her urge for intersectional solution even more fervent, unquote. So, Shia, let's delve further into these experiences you have had dealing with disrespect in the recording industry, please. Yeah, so that was written in 2020 when I had no manager. I was pretty much, you know, shooting in the dark. I had no idea what I was doing with my music. I had no idea. Like, I was basically wearing all the hats, right? Like, I was the producer, the engineer, the artist, um, the marketer, the social media manager. It's like you're wearing all these hats. So, you know, especially networking during a pandemic, a lot of my networking was done online, which makes it difficult to make relationships with people, but also you don't really know what you're getting. So a lot of people will offer you things, but you have to be careful. Um, so I guess I was more referring to the fact that First of all, being a woman in the industry is very difficult, but then also starting out is very difficult because you don't really know who to trust. And I feel like a lot of the help that I was being offered was not actual help. Like there was always a catch to it, um, which is really frustrating. And I feel like a lot of females can relate to that in the industry because, you know, like you, there's this like stigma of, you know, a lot of women, like, not being able to uh, be in these spaces without getting, like, unwanted attention. Um, and then when you add engineering to the mix, because I also engineer a little bit, like, it's almost like people are like, oh, shit, like, oh, like, you're a female and you engineer. It's like, they almost don't expect it. But then with that comes like, oh, like, she probably doesn't know, like, too much about that. You mentioned also networking during the uh, health crisis online and things like that. You know, what was it like for you to take that on? Honestly, it was super difficult. Um, I would meet people and like we would have plans to work and then it wouldn't happen. Or, you know, I would be asked to go somewhere like to record, but like things would really like people were just really flaky during that time period. Oh, my God. Granted, yeah. Like, you know, everything that was going on. Um, some of the most memorable people that I met were number one, definitely poor kid who's my manager. Yeah. Um, I think that was like the best relationship I made. And it was kind of crazy how we met because we met in the same way that I met everybody else was it was through Instagram. And, you know, we had been yeah. talking about working together for a while. Um, and I think he was like the first real interaction and relationship that I formed that was trusting, safe, and, um, just we both, like, when we came together, it was almost like magic. Like, we really worked well together and we had the same ideas. So I think that was the best relationship I probably made online, which I never saw coming. Like, honestly. Um, if you told me like two years ago that I would be in the position that I am right now, I would have been like, you're crazy. So you didn't see this for yourself? You didn't no, see definitely not. a recording career for yourself? Um, I did, but I didn't think it would happen so soon. Um, it's just one of those things where it was the right timing. Um, I linked up with the right people, started meeting um, yeah. a bunch of different people through him. And we eventually, you know, formed our little yeah. circle of creatives that, you know, inspire each other every day. DJ Bruno. Legend. Tell us about this. Godfather of Boston House Music. I don't care what Bruno says. Okay. Bruno has been at it for 
almost, you know, 35 years now. I was going to say it's got to be over 30 years. So we discussed <laughs> Bruno's 35 years in the industry on the chop session last mm-hmm. season. And we discussed everything from his starting out to how he got his name to the days of the loft. <sighs> the loft the dopest <laughs> underground venue Boston ever saw. Correct. For house music. And Bruno was a big, big part of that. Bruno, obviously there is no telling of your career story that would be a complete one without discussing your time taking over the iconic Boston Loft, the after-hours venue that so many party people of the past few generations was pulling up to to experience your music, and many other great DJs that you paired up with at The Loft during your time there. You began there in 1991, a residency with Armand Van Helden. And then from there, the Utopia Party Series began February of 1992. And throughout the time, Bruno, you brought in so many great names. We'll get to that later, you know. But I want to talk now about DJ Bruno and The Loft. As a matter of fact, take me into... The loft. I'm going there for the first time and pulling up, you know, and I'm ready to get it in all night long. Bruno, I want you to take me into a night at the loft from entrance to onto that dance floor to the end of the night. Give me that loft experience in the words of DJ Bruno. Um, it was like a melting pot of people and the bass was going right through through your body. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, it 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 was definitely definitely fun, lots of fun, and uh and a lot of energy. Yes. Because you know, I remember at one point it was much older 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 crowd at the time and and then and then a group of kids started telling other kids about the loft kids that uh, went to the the um what's the name of that place um the um palace in Saugus but there one time my whole life I used to spin there for the under 21 Oh my God! So I used to, so I used to spend a lot of house there, and and I told them about the loft, and then next thing I know, a lot of them came over to the loft, and then next thing you know, the whole the whole vibe at the loft changed completely. It was a lot of energy and energy in there, a lot of energy. Obviously, Bruno, you as the DJ, you know, I've always said this for years and years. The DJ, he, she, or they, the lord of the dance, you know, controlling the tone and the tempo of the night, the soundtrack, the vibe, and you are becoming one with the good people on that dance floor. You're creating memories together, you know what I mean? And I would say there are a lot of people, you know, who are on those dance floors of the loft back in those days who would say that DJ Bruno to them was in fact the loft? I don't think I was the loft. I think that the people made the loft because there were nights, man. The vibe was intense. Like I, I remember one night I 
I, I was so off. I couldn't believe how how off that that I was. I had just broken up with my girl girlfriend at the time, and I was really down. And that night, I had to play at the loft. All of my mixes on that, on that night sucked, but I'm telling you, I just don't understand it, man. It was like every record I fucking played, people were screaming. I couldn't get it, man. I was like, "Yo, that mix sucked. <laughs> why, why, why that?" <laughs> I just fucked up a mix. Why are they going nuts? And I remember. I did this uh, mix where I dropped buck, buck, uh, bucket heads. These these sounds fall fall into my uh, mind. And when that shit finally fin- finally dropped, man, it, the place exploded, man. I, like mm. thinking about it now, I get chills on my back, man. People were going nuts. And I just couldn't un I just couldn't understand why because that night I really sucked. I'm like my energy was bad. It was really really bad. I I was in a dark place at that time. But the crowd was just going nuts to anything I fucking played, man. I couldn't. I I still to this day I couldn't believe how they were going crazy. It 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 was like it was like it was like everybody was on some fucking crack, dude. Cause they were going nuts, and I mean nuts, man. And I and I was like, wow, I'll never forget this experience for the rest of my life. I mean, really, Bruno. I don't think any of you will ever forget that experience. You know, it's a shared experience. <laughs> Yo, the 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 laugh was an amazing experience. A- amazing, man. I spun for five hours. Mm-hmm. And at that time I was in the military. I yeah. was I was in the army reserve, so I would sometimes show up at a laugh in my army uni- in my army uni- uniform and after my set I go Right, right out to Fort, um, to Fort Devens, right, and and start my uh, shift at seven in the morning. There were so many great names that you paired up with at the Loft, Bruno. A few of which have been featured this year on the Sterling Collection playlist over on Spotify. If you're not following it now, you guys, make sure you do. Two of those names include Kerry Chandler, who was on the playlist recently. And then you have the great Louis Vega, who, in my opinion, this year dropped one of the hottest jams of 2022 with the song Love Has No Time or Place. Louis is a madman. Yes, he is. He's a madman because all that guy does is create classics. He really does. Tell me now about Utopia. Well, at the loft... Um, um, I thought I was playing a, a, a little bit too commercial 
So at Utopia, I wanted to to uh, to play a little bit more underground and to also give other people, other DJs in the Boston area a, a chance to also play. Let's talk now about another iconic piece of your past, DJ Bruno, going back to December of 1995, when down in Boston, you opened up the legendary Biscuit Head Records. Thank you, Napster. <laughs> you know, I got to point this out. I actually did shop a couple of times at Biscuit Head. And I didn't know, obviously, you know, when I was doing it then that the person running in the show was DJ Bruno. But I will say, you know, great time whenever I shopped there. I found some dope records whenever I did pull up the Biscuit Head Records out here in the area. And you just said, thank you, Napster, which I think is just telling me that uh, it was file sharing that killed Biscuit Head. Oh, for sure, dude. Because hmm. I remember one time, actually, it was file, it was file sharing in 9-11. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Same year when you closed. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it killed us. Um, wow. What, what had happened was I remember specifically when this girl who went to BU called the store and was asked and she was asking me what's the name of this song and what is the artist and every time she would ask me i would hear her typing and i'm like what are you doing <laughs> and she's like oh i'm getting all of the songs from uh, from uh um napster and I'm like, what the fuck is Napster? Oh my God, the ball's on her. And she broke broke it down. And I was like, oh, this is the beginning of the end. And wow. sure enough, I shut down, Boston, Boston Beach shut, shut down. Mm -hmm. Satellite was the last man standing for a, a while. I miss the record mm -hmm. store experience, you know? There's still a couple around. Uh, Cheapo Records, Nuggets, since 1978, still here. You know, but Biscuit Head hit different for so many of us, Bruno. Yeah, Bis Biscuit Head had its mom moments, you know. It's a good time. It was a good time. Do you have an experience from the Biscuit Head days that stands out to this day for you? Oh, oh yeah, is when Eminem showed up. Let's hear about Eminem pulling up to Biscuithead Records. And when Eminem came into the store, he looked shook. He was like, what the fuck is in here? <laughs> he looked scared, you know? And and I and I was like, oh shit, that's slim shady. Yes. So so myself and Master, Master Millions, we took a pull up Polaroid photo, and we put up the um, the um, the um, middle fingers. Y'all, I enjoy getting in touch with our heritage as much as anyone, but I've done enough looking back. How about looking forward now? I think that's a good situation right there. Anyway, we recently sat down with a dear friend of mine, Anna Mishtala, for some exclusive content for 
this special for Golden Age of Radio. She has a new product out called Beauty and Cutie, this amazing vitamin product that you're about to hear all about here on Golden Age of Radio. We taped this exclusively for y'all because I felt, hey, we can do a lot of throwing back on this show, but I want to look forward on this show also. So here we go. Let's look forward. Here is your man Sterling and Anna Mishtala chopping it up a little bit about beauty and cutie. What's good, y'all? So what you're hearing right now is some exclusive content we are cutting for Boston Free Radio's Golden Age of Radio Sterling Anthology presentation. I wanted to make sure we also gave a nod to the present and the future of things and not simply looked at the heritage, you know, since in fact my radio career is ongoing. So we are here right now for Golden Age of Radio for a short conversation with my darling confidant, Anna Mishtala. Fabulous having you here once again, Anna. It's been a long minute now. In fact, we are here today to discuss a product you were first talking to me about a couple of years back that you wanted to develop. And now it's out. It's called Beauty and Cutie. So Beauty and Cutie, this is a product that involves hair, skin, and nail vitamins, an innovative vegan formula to the health and beauty industry, focusing on the enhancement of hair, skin, and nails. So, Anna, do tell. Let's hear all about Beauty and Cutie. Uh, well, this uh, product is, as you mentioned, it's for hair, skin, and nails. Um, I originally designed it for actually for myself. And then when I discovered that it works for other people, I thought, oh, I'm up to something here. So that's how the idea came out. It's actually available since April. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's available since April and uh, it's available on Amazon and our website. What inspired the creation of Beauty and Cutie? I know, as I mentioned earlier on, it's something that you've been long wanting to do. But now I want to cut into what first made you want to do this. So it was actually um, my own struggle. I was struggling with tinny hair and I had like problems with my skin and I had weak nails. So... Um, I always uh, try to cover it up with hair extensions or heavy makeup. Um, but, you know, um, how long can you do that for? Uh, right. So, and I was always looking for a product that right. would fix all my hair, skin and nails issues. So, um, unfortunately, none of them worked. So, I obtained nutrition science certification and then I became board licensed esthetician. And that inspired me to um, experiment with the ingredients available. Uh, so when I played around with the ingredients, I tested them on myself. And um, I was like, once I got the knowledge what really works on me, um, I decided to finally make this product and shared the results with my friends. My friends loved the results as well. So then it was no questions that like we had to just bring it up to the market so other women can also benefit from what I have created. Let's hear now about initial customer reaction we've had to Beauty and Cutie Anna. 
What have your customers been telling you so far about this dope product? It was very exciting. You know, when you see that something that you love, that you created, that people react to it, they buy it and they have results the same you do. It's like so uplifting and you want to just keep going and keep doing it. So it's been amazing. It's been amazing. So many women, uh, I get uh, like emails thanking me for um for for the product because um a lot of women especially like after covid they lose their hair or they have like vitamin deficiencies that they don't even know about so they do have issues with their hair and once they try different things they think nothing works but um like the thing is that you need to find the cause of your um your your, your problem and most of the time it's really um the um your diet what you eat because what you eat is really reflects the beauty from the inside out i don't have hair extensions anymore this is all my natural hair exactly <laughs> my natural uh, nails so I'm a living proof that it works. Now that it's out and it's almost year one for this product, uh, what's in the future for Beauty and Cutie? Do you have any further products being developed from this? Yes, of course. I am working on another product, but um, I um, don't want uh, say too much or give myself deadlines um, because everything, uh, like, you know, with the uh, supply chain now, uh, everything is, keeps changing. But I am hoping that at the very um, start of the new year, I'm going to have another product that will be out. And it's also, of course, it's going to be for beauty, for hair, skin and nails. Anna Mishtala, you are fabulous now and always. We appreciate you pulling up today for this exclusive content for Golden Age of Radio. Y'all, thank you for indulging me. Now, I know that Racing in the City here has... One or two more questions before we call it a wrap here. So mm -hmm. by all means, <laughs> you're the hostess of this thing, Racine. Take over. Well, as far as the future, do you see yourself hosting more events <clears throat> and emceeing? Or are you really still passionate about behind the scenes on radio? Pick your poison and why. Yes. There's my answer. I know that's not a picking my poison, but yes, you know, I look at the menu and I say, yes, you know, that whole page right there, that's me, dog, you know, all of it's mine. Mm. I want all that shit, you know, look, I'm at a point right now in my life where I want to live and love more than ever. Okay. And if it means that I pick many poisons, mm -hmm. I will do that. Look. I still consider myself young, even though some folks may not. Lots of life left in you. Okay. And even though right now I am a bit buzzed, you know, don't matter. I'm happy. <laughs> I got more to do. Yeah. Whether it's a couple of more years or another year or whatever. Whether it's hosting radio, hosting events, you know pulling up to the club, whatever have you, okay? As long as I'm happy and I'm feeling fulfilled in this life, don't matter to me. Mm -hmm. As long as we're doing what we need to do to stay together and keep doing what we love, you know? I have spent near 15 years of my life now doing what I love doing. Racing has been there for some of that shit, mm -hmm. you know? I'll tell y'all, 
some of my greatest moments in life will go to the grave with me. Okay? Shit that I cannot talk about on this show. <laughs> but, okay, the things I can talk about with y'all are this. Y'all support have let me keep doing this all these years. Mm-hmm. Support of folks like Racine in the city have kept me going and reminded me that I am loved out here. Absolutely. You guys listening to my radio shows or following the Chop Session or the Sterling Collection playlist on Spotify or whatever other projects I do, you know, and somebody also asked, when's the book coming out? It is going to come out. Yes. Okay, trust me on this shit. Okay. Okay, No matter how many setbacks it's had, it's going to fucking come out, okay? But where we are right now, I got more to do. And while this may cap off another year in the life or maybe near 15 of them, Mm -hmm. I think the greatest year of all for Sterling Golden will be coming up. 2023 is knocking at our door. And I do believe that's going to be Sterling Golden's greatest act to date. And I think what we're about to experience out here in this community will be pretty fucking legendary, y'all. Mm. So Claim it. You have to claim it. Own it. Claim your greatness, y'all. Claim what's yours. You know? Speak that shit into existence. Work that shit manifest into existence. Manifest it. You have to manifest. Yeah. And that's what we're doing right now, y'all, as we wrap up this whole golden age of radio special here. Yeah. Full circle. My head is spinning right now, but I'll tell you right now, <laughs> manifest that shit into reality. And something I have not said in a long minute on a show, but it holds true to this day. Keep the faith in Sterlingtology you can trust. Keep the faith, y'all. You already know. You already know. <laughs> Sterling, I got one more question for you. Okay. Because, you know, you, what do got, you, got? you got a lot of love. What do you got? You got a lot of love to give. Go for it. We didn't touch upon your love aftermath. You mentioned some tough times in the past. But where are you at now with the dating scene? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Got to throw it at you. I'm sorry. I didn't see it coming, y'all. Nah. Is this golden age of radio or the mayor's lounge show? <laughs> you can't leave love out. <laughs> That's another another station. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Where am I at on the dating scene? Yeah. Is it, are you open? I may or may not have dated earlier this year a little bit. Okay. Dibble you know, dabble. She knows who she is. You know, we're still tight to this day, but we decided it wasn't really for us. Mm-hmm. But never say never on any of that shit, you know? I mean, I don't really focus on dating. Mm -hmm. Too much shit going on in my life. Yeah. But I will say that uh, if the right woman comes along, I never say never. Okay. I wouldn't turn it away. I would certainly look at the possibility and see where things are at. I like that answer. You know, but... uh, I'm curious, you know, 2023, where, where is it headed? We'll find out. But That we shall, to be good, continued. It's a good wrap-up on this thing. For uh-huh. me. Yeah. Love and life, y'all. Yes. And thank you 
for hosting me today, Racine in the City. Yo, it's thank been a true Boston. pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you to Boston Free Radio for always being behind me all these years in 320 Entertainment, for being the dopest vehicle possible for me for what I do. And this has been amazing, Racine. It has. This is Sterling Golden right here. This is a Sterling anthology. The golden age of radio lives on, y'all. That's cheesy. I know. Okay. I get it. <laughs> I know it's cheesy. I know it's corny. Let me have that. It's my birthday weekend. Yeah, let me have that. All right. Can I say stop? <laughs> Can I say it? Yes. This is Golden Age of Radio. I am not your host, but I am your subject, the indefinable Sterling Golden, and I say stop. Bree and Natalia were both at Legacy last week. Oh, Say hello, so guys. Say hello. Hey. Hey. What up, guys? Can you hear that? Oh, man. <laughs>